Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. The Practical Guitarist Podcast is brought to you by Great Lakes Guitar Pickups. Great Lakes Guitar Pickups provides fantasy tones at prices a practical guitarist will love. Featuring top-notch construction, attention to detail, and a fully custom product, if you can dream it, Great Lakes Guitar Pickups can probably build it. Follow them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Pickups. Are you a regular listener? Why not? David here reminding you of all the ways you can participate in the Practical Guitarist Podcast. Subscribe using your chosen podcast app. Review us on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or Google Play. Find our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash practical guitarist or on Twitter as at practguitarist. Support the show. Merchandise is available in our Threadless store at practicalguitaristpodcast.threadless.com and donate to us via Patreon available at patreon.com slash practicalguitarist. Reach out to us directly via email at questions at practicalguitarist.com. Hello, Jim. Hello, Jim. Thank you for joining me this evening. No, thank you. Oh, um, you're doing. Oh, you got the. Is that beer? This is Cinco de Mayo beer. Uh, the fifth of May. I forgot about that. So it's it's, Cinco uh, de Mayo beer. He's celebrating his diversity. Yeah. What is the uh, What is the beer? I'm, I'm drinking uh, a Corona Premier. Okay. So. I took a nap this afternoon, and while I was sleeping, uh, Jim sent me a <laughs> photograph of a rig that he saw somebody on the internet ad, um, and it looks straight it, like it looks like it came from a P Dubs page. Yeah. I don't know where it came from. It's Line not, six page, actually. We were laughing though because, um, yeah, it probably came from Line Six Page. It's okay. Yeah. I'm not. I, we're not trying to insult anybody. Like, if you if this is your rig, fine. Like, nothing at all. Uh, no, no, about it. But we were laughing because um, as you look at this thing, so what we're looking at here, it's got a helix, a Strymon yep. timeline, a rat's nest of cables, an yep. iPad for uh, interfacing with the church's sound system. By the looks of things, yeah. Um, and I'm, I, I would assume, and I might be assuming correctly, that that is the church's iPad. Yeah. And then the uh, he's got a stage wedge, but but he's got a he's got a uh, Music Man, and that's a seven string, right? Yeah. Yeah, seven yeah. string Music Man, um, the JPM model. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah, that's the current one. So that's the that's Sterling. The majesty. Yeah. yeah, the ma- or not Sterling. Oh no, that's that's the real the Majesty, that's right? The majesty, yeah. Right. So and then uh, he's got a MIDI foot controller, probably for controlling the looper on yeah. the uh, and an external uh, control switch or uh, expression switch. Yeah. Expression. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even sure if that's not just a regular wah. To be honest with you. Because uh, it's got a knob on the side of it, if you look closely. Yeah. So Jim Jim sent this to me, and he's kind of pointing out something that's really interesting. Like a lot of people who play in churches have these super extravagant rigs, and I I mean I'm kind of a like middle of the road on this one. I don't think this is too elaborate compared to some of the other ones I've seen. Um, but I get your point, right? Like I, there are definitely people out there that have you know, they have like a wall of marshals behind him and stuff in church. And you're going, what are you doing? 
Like, what are you doing here? Not, that's obviously uh, overblowing it. Nobody's got, I haven't seen a picture of like a wall of marshals in a, in a congregation because most of that stuff sits in the closet backstage now where they yeah. have it mic'd up. I mean, we're getting to the point where they have better sound than most of the venues you play in. Yeah. Um, uh, that, my point was twofold because today our, our, one of our topics is we built, we built $1,500 rigs. Yeah. This is, a, this is definitely a $6,500 to $7,500 rig right here. That's, yeah, that's that's at least $6,000. Yeah, more. because the I just the Majesty alone oh, is yeah. $3,500, I think. For the seven string? I think that's... Yeah, th- that, so it's like 30... It's over three grand, and I think it's right. closer to 3500 And they have the Helix, which that, that's 1500. That's not terrible. And then they have the timeline, which is another 350 bucks. That's so you got 1850 in pedals, not including expression in the mini switcher. And then, you know, he's obviously got this in some sort of a case. So, I mean, you're looking at, he's got 2,100 to, to uh, $2,500 on the floor plus, you know, $3,500 in this guitar, whatever his cases are and whatever his B rig is. Cause this guy's probably got a B rig of some sort. Um, you know, and how, how necessary is that to play in church? I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I've, <clears throat> I have two minds, uh, when it comes to the, to the church, by the way, that, that particular magistry is $5,000. Oh, is that the 5,000 one? Yeah. I, I'm just, I knew one it. of them was super expensive. I didn't know that was the, yeah. it may be the, it may be the $3,500 and it might be the, the Hey Jim, you know what this guy's got a lot of credit card debt. Well, or the church does. Um, yeah, well, I doubt. So most of the churches, at least around here, it's bring your own guitar. And really? they might they might also, allow, you know, they might also not have an amp. So, you know, the, the Line 6 thing has been huge in churches for a long time. Um, and I've been seeing a lot of, not, I'm not just talking about Helix either. I mean, I, I remember seeing a lot of Pod HD500s and stuff. Um, and even going back to pot XTs just because it's all inclusive. And a lot of times in a church situation, you're better off just going direct to board anyway. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't hate this. Um, I do think people should ask themselves, you know, a little bit in the back of their head, like, is this necessary? But at the same time, it's like, if you got the money, if if you, and and, and now I'm not going to argue that you should go into debt over it, but if you got the money, like, I get it. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. And uh, yeah, it looked like your light was flashing. No, it's uh, so there's someone else walking around behind me and it's like affecting the light level. This webcam oh. is not very good. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> yeah I, just, so. I just sent you a link. That, that music man in, in Tiger Eye is $5,249. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I was looking at a Sterling a while back and I, I still, I'm still probably going to look at a Sterling, but. Yeah, it's about a grand. Sterling is about a grand. Uh, the one I'm looking at is like five fifty, six hundred mm. for a seven string. No, oh, I'm not looking at a ma- I'm not looking at the Majesty though. Oh, okay. I'm looking at the JPM because I actually prefer that body style. I think the Majesty looks. It looks like a guitar that's been stretched. Got it. Not really my thing, but it. But it's. I, I understand why it's balanced. It's designed oh, yeah. to balance better. Yeah, there's no question about that. I. I, I like it. 
Um, anyway, so yeah, folks, the reason that we, that I pointed it out wasn't that I was trying to say, hey, look at this guy spent so much money and the church spent so much money. No, I no, I was doing that just to be a, kind of a jerk, but yeah, I was just saying, Hey, look, we're trying to build $1,500 rigs. And this guy is so not with $7,000. Yeah. There will come a point at this uh, at this rig showdown thing that we did. We built so we built our own rig. I think we should make this a regular a regular thing on the show too. We should we should challenge yeah. ourselves to to like here's a genre. Build a rig. Here's your here's your price point. Do it as cheaply as possible, like a fantasy thing, right. and, and discuss the merits of what we've done and like. Um, and I think it'll be interesting because I know Jim and I would probably take two very different approaches even to the same genre of music. So, so I'm gonna. Uh, you want me to start because I have a very simple rig. I'll do my first rig. I put. Three you start. Rigs. Yeah, you start. You got three, so you can start. I'll do my because I only did one, but I got. But I, w I do have options to talk about as well. Yeah, I've got that. That's where you're gonna see my three rigs are very um, option built. So, I'll start with my first one, and this is. These are all geared towards one thing, and that's the the musician who is out there and is trying to cover a lot of different music. So the first thing I went with um, in this very simple rig, keep myself under $1,500, but get the most tone out. And this will surprise a lot of people. My first choice was a Squire Affinity Telecaster. <laughs> now, here's – now I'm course, chuckling because I – yeah, okay, go ahead. Okay. But if you, if you find a good one, you know, which, which everybody has said, you can find good, good Squires, and, and there are good ones out there. Um, that you can deal with, you're about 200 bucks in the hole. We're doing um, new prices, um, not on sale, folks. So um, the next thing I went with was a $300 head rush, 2000 watt FRFR. So that's so with, a, with an Alto cab. Um, no, no, no. The, the FRFR from him, head rush. That's their cabinet. It's a one by twelve, two thousand. Yes, which is a rebranded Alto TS. Uh, that's yeah, the is that the twelve? I have it. I have. It. Well, it's in the other room. I have one. I know exactly what the Alto you're talking about. And yeah. Yes, it is. and it's exactly the same price with the Altos. <laughs> yeah, which is why I'm like, I don't even understand why they did this. But we all know that you can go direct, and so this is a nice sure. thing to use for monitoring on a pool. And then, so what I did was for the rest of the get rig, it's very simple. A line six helix LP. <laughs> so I I went way more traditional with mine. Um, okay. Now the the FRFR thing is great. So wait a minute. So you have a, a helix LT, right? So it's eleven hundred plus. It's, well, it's a thousand, from what I understand. The helix LT is no, it's it's eleven hundred now. Is it? Oh, oh, I thought it was a thousand. I thought it was a thousand even. So I'm I'm looking I'm at it just to be sure. Yeah. I might be wrong on that. Uh, no, it's it's ten ninety nine. Oh wow! Yeah, they all everything in line six went up a hundred bucks. Wow, that's a as a result of the uh, tariff stuff. So, Thanks, yep, thank you, uh, thank you, President. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> even though I I don't think that's actually happened yet, but even because it's being discussed, all the companies just jumped on board and said, "No, nah, no, nah, we're gonna we're gonna get behind this," and uh, use this as an excuse to raise our prices. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. So I mean, th there are merits of doing that. Uh, so how much was so the F so the and I, I considered doing something very similar, which is like more amp heavy, with okay. some sort of modeling device. I probably would have gone GT one thousand myself because uh, it's smaller.
but um, it's actually slightly smaller than the LT to my understanding. Um, but I don't know that I even would have bothered with an FRFR. Um, yes, for home use, I guess if you're going to play at home, like you're going to need something to listen to monitor back through. Um, but you know, if you're really so, budget minded, you can use a pair of headphones. Well, and again, okay, so that yeah, you're going to spend a thousand dollars on the device, right? 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 Dollar headphones. But well, that's yeah, okay. So, so to get into, to get it into budget, I guess I would have to switch to the GT one thousand. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are options. And that would be like, there's yeah, there are definitely options, and of course, we tried to limit this to new items, but you could definitely get like a Helix LT used. Oh yeah, and that would have been that would have been you know perfect. That so, about eight hundred. Yeah. Um. So as I said, like I started to go traditional. Um. When I first started, so we didn't really have a genre in mind when we started doing this. Um. And so I was like, well, what would I? What would I do? You know, what would I want to buy? Um. And of course, I was like, I got to get a seven string because that's what I'm playing right now. Um, so if I was to purge and then go spend $1,500, I would get like an Ibanez RGA 7420 Flame Maple, which just came out as a seven string with the RG body style, but it's all rounded. Mm -hmm. um, that's what the A is. Uh, and it's it's got a Floyd on it. Not my particular cup of tea, but it, it would probably suffice. That retails at $600. Um, which is not bad considering it's a floated seven string. I could have gone super cheap. They have one down to 350, which is an R, which is an actual RG. Now again, these are Indonesian. They're not, you know, um, they're not Japanese or anything like that. Um, and then for an amp, I picked the Marshall DSLR 20 uh, CR, which is a 20 watt one by 12. Yeah. It's 600. Yeah. 600 even i played that amp a couple times in the store it's fine yeah. i don't i mean i don't love it i don't hate it i just felt like it would be the perfect platform for like having a small giggable because that was part of this we need it needed yeah. to be giggable um, right. amplifier you know to go with to go with a decent giggable guitar i think any guitar if you spend over 500 bucks it should be giggable if unless you've done something really dumb like it should be fine um, and then of course I, I did throw in a crybaby mini wall, um, because you got to have something out front for that kind of thing, depending on what kind of music you're playing. I mean, I could have gotten away without that. Um, I had enough room actually left over for cables. So that, that all weighed in at 1300. I could have bought cables. I could have bought, um, you know, a boost pedal. Uh, and I was considering buying a, um, a clean boost pedal for, for gain boost because amp does not have a gain boost. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe a delay or something. And I looked at, I looked at delay. I had a delay pedal in the cart for a while, but actually it's kind of funny because the reason why I stripped all that stuff out was because I was looking at another guitar that I actually think would fit that rig very similarly. Um, the Schecter Sun Valley Super Shredder, which is a, uh, which is a seven string, uh, like, you know, 1980s Schecter. Um, they've been doing these for a year or two now. Um, Maple neck again, floated uh, seven string with EMGs. They're not, it's not like the, the active EMGs. They're the, the passive ones, which aren't the best pickups in the world, but they're not terrible either. It's a flame, uh, flame body. And of course you can get in blue or purple, blue or purple. Uh, I don't know, I'm looking for a picture of the headstock. Yeah. It's not a pointy headstock or anything like that. It looks like an old uh, Charvel headstock from the, from the late nineties actually. And, and these guitars are actually pretty, pretty nice. I've, I've played one, um, fairly recently, actually. It's kind of curious that they went hum single single in a seven string, but 
um, I would have just gone home home actually because most of the yeah. people that are after seven strings don't really care if don't they have a single on the guitar at, uh-huh. at all in the guitar. Um, no. If I had gone six string, that would have opened up my my options a ton. And there's a lot of really great six string guitars for between five and seven hundred right now that would have would have filled this out nicely. Um, but so the the super shredder is eight hundred and eighty dollars, and that would have put me, I think, over with the DSL twenty. So I was looking at part of the reason why I went back and looked to see if I could find another seven with a with a Floyd that was actually slightly cheaper was because um, I couldn't have got a wah pedal. That was a big part of it, and then the other thing was like really, you know, you you'd think that there might be a better suited amp. Um, there really isn't. And and that and that's part of the issue here. Nobody makes a combo amp that has a decent enough amount of gain for under six hundred dollars. They just don't exist. Period. Period. And the ones that do exist are they're a severe compromise. They're not they're not gonna get you where you wanna go if you're actually gonna be playing some kind of like shred style music or something of that nature. Um so again, I could have gone digital modeling. You could get, you know, there, there's a Katana ID core, the Marshall code and like a whole bunch of other ones. And I guess you would have to be really specific as to which one you want based on like what exactly you're planning to do. Because I think that's an interesting prospect is I think all of those modeling amps do different things better. Yeah. Um, it's like the Marshall. I don't really know what it does well, to be honest with you. Um, I think it, I think the cab modeling is so bad in that Marshall that, that it is horrendous. Uh, that's really, I mean, actually the amp modeling is fine. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the, the cab, they, they, they should have had a cabinet model to feed on there somewhere because yeah. that's just, they're, they're not, they're not acceptable. Um, I, I would like to, you know, so like the Katana, for example, would have worked really good in like a death metal style genre or something like that. Cause it's got enough gain. You can actually do really, good impersonations of a lot of eighties metal sounds on that amp. Um, I think the ID core, cause that's been talked about in the group because of the, the Brian Wampler video, I think it does a decent, like, um, cleaner low gain thing. I don't think it does a very good saturated sound for, for what it's worth. Um, I think it suffers from the same, you know, and I got to thinking about that too. We'll get there in a minute. I'm thinking that, that it suffers from the same thing that the HT series does, which is, I think that black stars voicing what they want to hear and what they have voiced their amps to sound like it, like the high gain stuff is not really what the market's after. And it's, it's kind of unique in that regard. Like, um, it's a really dark sound and, I mean, I mean, not that, you know, you can't use a dark sound, but I mean, like, there's no high end to it at all. It just clips everything off. Yeah, I'll, have to, I'll have to do a demo for you because I got the ISF in the right position and I'm able to get a pretty good, uh, pretty good high end. Uh, yeah, uh, but, but, but what we're talking about doing are two completely different things because I know you don't play the style of music I do. And that's what, I'm, that's what I'm saying. Like, if I set that amp up the way that it should be, and I mean, believe me, I sat there for 25 minutes playing around with it you can't get that ISF control will not save that. There is no, no way that it that pulls it off. It just doesn't. Um, I'm not saying that that makes it necessarily good or good or bad. It's just, it doesn't do that. And that there's like, as I said, there's a lot of amps in that price range and none of them do that. So yeah. um, I would have preferred to get something like the, cause I played the MT 15 recently. Like I would, I was looking to see like, Oh, can I get that out of the cab? you really 
can't um, because it's, I mean, the, the amp itself was 650 50 bucks and their cheapest cab is 350 So that would have been $900 on my budget right there. And then I'd be playing a, a, a you know, $300 square through a $900 um, amp. And to well, Jim's point, a $300 square is fine. But the problem is they don't sound fine. They play fine, but they don't sound fine because the pickups in them are shit. <laughs> you're right. You're right. And now, so um, remember, we're going budget and there are going to be, and that, yeah, so there's compromises. Let's, let's talk about my first rig and what compromises I made. Obviously, the <laughs> compromise was a Squire Affinity. And the reason yeah. I made the Squire Affinity compromise is because, let's face it, when it comes to Squire, I can upgrade a Squire pretty inexpensively. I can get, I can wait a little bit, get tuners. I can wait a little bit, get a bridge, or I can wait a little bit and get pickups. Either way, the things that I need in it, I can wait a little bit of time and I can get those things. And it's not going to be horrible. It's, it's going to be all right. It's going to be playing for 20 people in a bar um, while they're drinking and who, who and Han over, you know, me doing ACDC at night. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not that big a deal or, you know, tuning down and putting a letter, I mean, uh, 13s on it and playing, you know, crank, you know, grunge. So, or, or metal. Now, so I, I and that's where I'm going to go with the next couple of things because the next couple of rigs, which are the same, I'm trying to accomplish the same thing with all three rigs. I'm trying to keep it under $1,500, but I'm trying to make it so that there is a certain point of the rig. You'll notice in the first one, I went with the help, the Helix was supposed to be, and of course it would be the GT1000 because I, I forgot the Helix one of $100. Um, was to make that the point that you're, that's your key point. That's your, that's your circle of which you can then build the rest of your rig around later on. Mm -hmm. so my next one, this is one's going to probably shock the crap out of you. My medium rig, I call it one a simple rig, a medium rig, and a, and a, and a more like complex rig or what you would call uh, more, more um, uh, old fashioned, you know, for lack of a better word. I could, you know, contemporary old-fashioned one. So <clears throat> the second one I built, I, I chose a guitar. It was the Yamaha Pacifica, the $300 Yamaha Pacifica. I can see that. It's a nice guitar. I probably would have got a Revstar myself, but yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah. That, that was one of the ones that I considered. And it was a, um, a, the home single single, the PAC-112V. Nice guitar. Um, I, I looked at the Sonic Blue. It's a $300 guitar. I'm out um, $300. And then I said, okay, a Boss ME80. It's going to get me my, you know, enough effects. It's not going to be great. It's not going to be uh, terrible. It's going to be okay. Again, I'm trying to play to a group of people. Now, here's what I really revolved it around. PRS Sanzera. Brand new, 900 bucks, 50 watts. Yep. And they're really good. I've had one. And, and that was where I said, okay, that's going to be my great piece of gear. You can find a really good Pacifica that, that does well, that will treat you well. You can, you know, boss every 80 in, in the short run will be just fine. And then you build on that. Yeah. I mean, you're that would be the first, the first thing you replace is the ME 80. Yeah. Oh, of course. Absolutely. Cause, cause I, I'll be honest with you, that's just the weak point in that chain. When you said the ME 80, I about puked. That was, <laughs> it was always a comment. No, it's not. No. And, and you know what? The ME 80 was fine when it came out, but it's just like today there's so many better options. Oh, yeah. What is it? What is the ME 80 going for now? But the ME 80 goes for $300. Oh, you can get a GT one so, for that. 
Yeah, you can get a GT, and the GT one was another one I considered. Yeah, I would have gotten the GT one, but that's because yeah. you know I just know it's newer technology. So yeah, and and again, uh, GT one Boss M80. The reason I went with the M80 is because the M80 is set up unlike the GT one and many of the other um, of these things. The M80 is set up like okay, here's all your effects. They're right there in front of you. You want to tweak your your um, delay? You just reach down, tweak your delay. You don't need to go. Oh wait, which patch am I? Where do I have to go? Sub patch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's pretty. It's pretty simple and straightforward to understand. Um, I, not that I was saying it was better tone or anything like. That. No, no, no. There, they would be probably roughly equivalent. To be completely honest with you, um, I just don't think that they put high quality AD converters on stuff that's that cheap. And that's but, that's a big part of the reason why things like the Helix sound so good is because you're right. paying 250 bucks for the AD converters. I mean, but the, the nice thing about the M80, if you put it into a Sanzera, at least you're you're got a little bit of polish on it. Yeah, so I don't think so. The the Sanzera, the my only critique of it is it's got a ton of bass and it's very hard to tame. Um, but I think if you're not, so you didn't pick a single coil guitar for that rig, right? Um, the, the Pacifica. Oh yeah. The Pacifica. The, yeah. So as long as you don't have a single coil on the bridge, you'll be, yeah. you'll be good. Cause yeah. no, no single coil and no single coil options. For me. I don't, I don't see many people with a hum <laughs> guitar running mostly on the neck pickup. So, no. <laughs> but I'll say this. Um, I really admire your choice to choose the Yamaha Pacifica. We don't talk about Yamaha a lot in this, in the, on this podcast, but I want to, I want to make it really clear to our listeners. Like Yamaha builds an exceptional product at the price point that they, that they deliver it. Um, mm -hmm. I, I have never been disappointed with a piece of Yamaha gear. I have a Steinberg, uh, Steinberg UR22 interface that we do the show with. Um, I use it regularly and it is a fantastic piece of gear. And Steinberg is owned by Yamaha, folks. That's right. That's um, right. They also Definitely own Helix or Line Six and the Helix division and all that stuff. Um, so you, they 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 build a product you probably own or have used at some point that you really like. That's right. Whether it's a motorcycle or, or yeah, a yeah, <laughs> you probably had on or maybe Yamaha. Okay, so the other the other one, my last rig, this is the more contemporary, or not contemporary, I'm sorry, the more old-fashioned style rig where um, you would use um, stuff. And I, and I tried to go with things um, that were, uh, that, that are not low-end, okay? But we're going to start with the lowest end. And, and there's a reason that, um, when I wrap this all up, there's a reason that I picked this particular guitar twice, and that's the Squire Infinity. And the reason I picked it twice um, is price point. <laughs> Don't want the price point. It's easy to cheat on this because it's, it's a nice, easy way to get under two hundred dollars or under three hundred dollars. But the biggest reason is that with the with the Squire Affinity, again, upgrading is so easy in the future, and and, and everybody's going to buy another guitar soon enough. So it's the silliest thing to try to to try to not do. Okay, so here's what I did for pedals. I went with a flashback delay, which is hundred dollars. Right. I'm sorry, yeah, delay. Um, a HOF reverb, Hall of Fame reverb, hundred dollars, and a TS9 for your overdrive gives you a little um, mid range, especially when it comes to a Squire. Um, an eighty-five dollar Big Muff Pie, nothing wrong with that, right? A one hundred dollar Blues Driver. I had a police driver in one of my in one of my builds. It was the Waza one, the 140 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Seems kind of silly, but 
It is. Well, it, but there's nothing wrong with it. I but can't believe the blues driver is that expensive now. Um, the ba- bare bone basic crybaby wand. Right. Um, and that all left me just barely enough money to get a Black Star HT um, Club Ford Mark II. At what price? At seven twenty nine. Okay. So. That leave that left me. I mean, we're squeaking by here. Yeah, <laughs> I was just gonna say you got like. I was just gonna say he's got like seven dollars for cables there. <laughs> I, I think I left three and a half dollars for cables. You better get the live wire. <laughs> <laughs> live wire. Good luck. Yeah, exactly. Like get one cable for seven dollars and fifty cents. Maybe you can get your buddy to loan you some. But you so, know what? That's a good point, Jim. Is that you know if you do this, like let's say you're gonna take fifteen hundred dollars and you're gonna go buy like a complete setup. Um, you got to remember that if you're going to do a bunch of pedals, like pedal boards are not cheap. I don't know why people think that whole shenanigans is cheap. You're talking a hundred dollars for a power supply, probably a hundred dollars in cabling. And then you have to actually have a board. So you're either going to have to build or buy the, the stuff to make a board. You're, I mean, before you're done, just to have a pedal board, like an actual pedal board, you're probably looking at like 250 to $350. Now, for the supplies. That's right. Something that people should remember is I left no room to even buy batteries. So here's the here's the here's the crux, guys. When it comes to um, the pedal board, so I'll I'll tell you when it comes to my pedal board. But I, before I put a single bolt, uh, pedal on it, I have a one hundred and I got it cheap. I got it for hundred dollars, but normally about one hundred fifty. Pedal Train Classic One. That's a bare bone basic pedal train, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's one under it for a hundred dollars. That's that's smaller. The Pedal Train Junior or something. Yeah, well, the PT one is a Guitar Center exclusive. I think that's yeah. the one that the one that has their chintzy uh, case and stuff. I had one. And then I got yeah, I got the bag instead of a nice case. But anyway, yeah. so then um, the the Voodoo Labs uh, pedal power pedal plus two pedal yeah. power plus two or whatever it's called. Um, I can't read it. It's one hundred and forty. I bought, I've had three of them. (laughs) Four, four, if you consider the one that burned out. (laughs) There's absolutely nothing wrong with them. Um, You should always have batteries in your pocket just in case. If if your pedals run on batteries, you will find out these days that sometimes you'll open the pedal and there's no battery jack. And you're going, what? Yep. And that sucks. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, So if you consider... Um, my pedal board, even if you don't look count the HX effects, if you just look at my pedals, mm-hmm. my wad was $150 on sale. Okay. $130 on sale from like 180. It's the yeah. slash signature. Okay. I got a Dunlop um, uh, Volume X, which goes for about $150, right? New. Yeah, yeah. Um, I got that used for 80 bucks. Um, obviously, the Big Muff was a gift from you. Um, the blues driver I paid $150 for whatever it was $130 for and then I sent it to Brian Wampler to to put $165 in it to get him to um, buy it I hope you didn't pay that much for a blues driver they're only 99 bucks is it 99 whatever it was then I paid 60 more dollars to have Brian Wampler buy it right and of course I paid shipping out and I gave him a a pre you know a pre that shipping back whatever it was you know what I mean The, the, the return shipment thing the little slip um, and then I got uh, a Paisley drive from Wampler, uh, the Deluxe, 
That thing's almost what is that? One hundred sixty dollars. Yeah, I mean, you're probably hitting you're probably hitting two grand before you even get to a guitar. Yeah, I'm not even in a guitar yet. So it's it, you know the fact is, folks, that though that you know you hear me a lot say a lot of dirt pedals. The HXFX is really I like a lot of the dirt pedals in it, and I like the um, the effect effects pedals, reverb. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, the only thing I don't get that that I don't feel is good enough for me, and I'm a, and I am not a tone whore, but I don't like the wah in the helix. Uh, there's like ten of them. I know. I couldn't find. You don't them. like any of them. Yeah, I try. You need to you need to get in there and play around more. I know. I probably do. I probably need to to find the set. You need to play with the, the sweep and the cue and stuff and some of them, and you'll find you'll find one you like. And and I found that to be the case too. I actually like the Vetawa. That's the one that they used to bundle with like the old stuff they used to put out, and it's okay. Um, I do I do have to pull either pull the sweep up or down depending on what guitars I'm playing. Um, but I'm I used to be a lot more of a wah guy than I am. Uh, now, which is kind of funny because it ended up in this build here, but it's just not my like. I it's just not an effect I use a lot anymore. Um, I, I think everybody goes in and out, and I think that if there's a pedal that they get rid of and they want some extra money, or they want that's the first one they trash. I don't know. I, I, don't know. I mean, I I haven't been like that in in the past. I mean, I so I don't think I've ever had one that I bonded with in that way either. Like that. I'm like, Oh, I'm going to keep this until I'm dead. Like, um, I've just never, I mean, I've always wanted, um, a Buddha boudoir, the, the old one when, when, um, Jeff Bober was still running Buddha. Um, but those are like, they're hard to find now. I see them on reverb occasionally. They're not expensive. Um, yeah. maybe I'll, maybe I'll treat myself if I find one at some point, but, um, there's only one other one. I really like this, um, this slash signature. I don't know what it is. If it's the sweep, if it's the, I think I just like the sweep in the physical side of it. It's really easy for me to control. The only mm -hmm. one I ever bonded with that I thought, nah, I never should have gotten rid of that is this. I've said this before on the channel is the snarling Dawes wino walk. A lot of people like that thing. I really like that walk. And I will get another one. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to remember. I know they're not in, in production anymore. Which really sucks because that was a really good one. But. Well, actually, I just Googled Buddha to find out what's going on with that company because I know they're owned by a PV and uh, their website appears to be like non functional. So are they defunct now? Did PV Buddha? close that division? Yeah, that sucks that PV ended up closing that company because they made some exceptional stuff. Um, Ooh, there's point. a $65 freaking uh, wine hole. There's an $85. I would. I would easily pay for the eighty-five. So, so you can see that Jim and David are beginning their bird walks segment oh of the show. God. This is the the snarling. You and I are both like we're we're sitting here like talking about things, and we're both googling stuff. Like, hey, I <laughs> I'm so bad. And no, it's just I'm, the basic. The I can't buy anything anyway because I'm flat broke, folks. Um, yeah, well, I had a, I had a small rodent go underneath my car the other day, and I'm pretty <laughs> screwed. You know, so um, what we what we uh, saying the the uh, oh Buddha, so Buddha amps is gone. I wonder if they're gone. Their website is not functioning properly for me. Uh oh, which says that they're not maintaining it anymore. Uh yeah, that's not looking good. So that kind of sucks. The 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 somebody got in there and screwed up the HTML by the looks of it. 
Yeah, or they're just not maintaining it at all. Um, I think PV, I think PV made a big mistake by dropping that brand. They should have propped them up and actually done what they were supposed to be, which is boutique, instead of trying to turn them into a five hundred dollar brand, keep them at a thousand and plus. And they yeah. probably could have they probably could have used it to leverage their own high end endeavors. Instead, they ran them into the ground. And I haven't seen a Buddha amp in stores in probably ten years. I can't tell you when the last time. Even seen though they've been produced for that period of time, I haven't seen one in stores in ten years. No. Um, limited time. Buddha volume boost. Oh, that's volume boost. That's it. There is no wall. Uh, they do have one, but it's not the original. It's like a totally different thing. Uh, people have people have been very angry that that like PV has just been basically doing whatever they want with that brand, and like they're not selling any of the original designs in the original way. And it's just a whole thing. Um, do PV still own them? Yeah. They they own Buddha. Like, not like they're partners. They own them. They bought them wow. completely out because Jeff wanted out from under the company because they they were not following quality. Well, his story is they're not following quality specifications, stringent guidelines, et cetera. So, like, he basically said, no, fine, you guys keep it. And we'll talk about a deal. And they, and I think he sold it to him for basically pennies on the dollar and walked away. So, and it's, uh, the uh -huh. funny thing is now he's doing East amplification, but yeah, uh, that's a, that's a household name right there. <laughs> nope. <laughs> exactly. Nope. Um, so I, I'm not that, not that I'm poo-pooing the East product. I mean, they're probably, I, the guy's making hand built tube amps. He's been doing it for 35 years or something. Like I'm sure they're great, but um, it's, <laughs> it's just not a product that people are interested in or he's not interested in promoting it properly, which uh, he ran, uh, if anybody, so history lesson, he was running um, amps and axes and yeah. they pulled the plug on that about six months ago, seven months. Oh, it's probably longer than that. Never come back. Yeah, it's been almost a year now. Yeah, they pulled the plug on that and and I think it was Jeff Bober's decision to pull the plug and I think, think it's kind of funny because it's like, well, Dude, that was good promotion for you and your show. Like for you and your brand, is to be behind amps and axes. Yeah, and that was a show that people actually listened to. So I don't know. I mean, that that sounds like a like a bad move, but uh, maybe he just got to the point where he's just fed up with doing it. I don't know. Um, they dealt with a lot of talent, and it was pretty clear. There were a couple moments on that show where they would talk about, you know, they didn't say names, but they'd say, you know, some people are just really difficult. And who was the guy? Who was the guy that was this? Uh his um it was mick marcelino mick marcelino yeah and mick is mick is not known for anything mick was jeff's buddy like yeah and knew how to host the podcast so that's pretty what it come down to now mick marcelino used to do the podcast with greg mara yeah but that greg was so Marlin. that was the that thing was when they pulled amps and axes that was supposed to continue and it did not Yep. And I think that was more or less because Greg Marr was only interested because of the, because of his relationship with East. With yep, East Coast amplification. So, I don't yeah. know. It's just a it's a whole thing. Like, I I don't want to. I listen. If we were involved in the industry in some capacity, I'm not going to judge these people for for the decisions they make. Oh, I no. just think it was a bonehead move to pull the plug on on what is probably your single greatest marketing tool that you had. Uh, so Greg Mara, he has his, well, he had his own um, uh, podcast. And um, yeah, it was July 2018 when they pulled the plug. Um, anyway, uh, he had his own podcast for the longest time. 
mm-hmm. um, separate from them. So he didn't ask Phil to come with him. And I think you mean Phil Mick Marcelino or Mick, yeah. And so Phil joined in. Phil or not Phil? What the heck's his name? Bowler. Yeah, I Jeff, don't know. Jeff Bowler. It's yeah. a whole thing. Anyway. We're not going to do that. We're not involved in the industry in that capacity. We are players and we are here to, and that's part of the reason we don't have a ton of guests on the show is because we don't want to have to like worry about running out of talent or having to connect with all these people. Well, yeah, if the legwork that was involved in that show was probably far more than what's involved in our show. Well, you know, the the truth of the matter is folks, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm pretty lazy about trying to find guests because I could probably (laughs) get somebody every week. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it's a lot of work, dude. No, I, I, I'm, and, not, and I'm not angry. I'm thrilled that we do it by ourselves. <laughs> and, and there's so much. Um, so I'll give you guys a, a little hint. Sometimes it's just, hey, you want to be on the show? Sure. But I'll tell you this, you know, even a, even someone and, and certainly not poo-pooing the, uh, the uh, celebrity of, of the folks that we've, we've interviewed, but even somebody um, like uh, uh, Miss, Miss Smith, yeah. that was a three-week endeavor. Yeah, to uh, get that thing lined up. And we've had a couple we've let go by the wayside. We were going to have Chris Brooks yeah. on. Yeah, and we were going to have Chris Brooks on. That, that, that didn't, didn't work out. He's, he's extremely busy down under. Um, yeah, I mean, and a lot of these people are, and, that, and that's what boils down to. It's like, you got to get our schedule to match their schedule. And, and these people, some of them, you know, they don't like to speak. Um, they don't like interviews. And it's fine. Like, and I, and I totally get that. Um, if they if they knew our show, like, it, and how informal it was, I think it would be easier and less, yeah. less of a problem. Hopefully someday we get to the point where people are reaching out to us more. We have had a couple of people reach out to us. I know I've got one that we could probably have on the show whenever, um, but it's just, it, well, I've, actually got, I've got some folks. So um, uh, there's been some interest. I've been talking to a local um, uh, store about getting people on the show and uh, talking to different departments of the store. So I'm, I've been talking about that. And you obviously have been talking um, in talks about doing some stuff, which is. Uh, yeah, I got I mean, there's a guy that does a, runs a cartridge company. Um, who I'd like to have on to talk about what that looks like. Cause I don't think a lot of people have a lot of visibility to being a pro musician in terms of like how you haul your gear around or how you have gear hauled for you. Yeah. Uh, and then yeah, rental, that is, equipment rental that, is another thing. Yeah. That is a pain in the rear end. Yeah. I mean, there's so for those of you who don't know, there's a thing called cartage and you basically pay a company to store, maintain, uh, and to also like basically secure your equipment for you. And so mm-hmm. if you're a gigging musician or you're a, you're a session player and you have a downbeat session, you know, you have to be there at 3 PM, you call them up and you say, have my stuff here at 3 PM. This is what I want. And then it just shows up there and you, and you walk in and it's all set up, ready to go. And you just hit a chord and You'd be surprised at the number of national cats that use that. That's Oh a- Yeah. No, because they almost have to, especially if you're yeah. a session player, because the amount of gear you own is probably far greater than the average Joe. Yeah. And you have to know, like, when they call you up for the session, they're like, yeah, bring your telly. Yeah. And you're like, which one? You know, like, uh, you have to know what's right for the session. So, And you might have a session at, like, you know, in the afternoon and then a gig in the evening, and you're going to have to have two. Yeah, um, you can't set up both. That's right, and you're not going to be able to set up both. So even if you took your rig to one or the other, you're going to have to have cartage take care of one or both. Right, so that's Um, what cartage is. That's what we've been talking about here. Um, But, you know, we've been trying to make a conscious effort in season two here, um, which is from episode 100 beyond. We don't really make a big deal out of that. 
um, to talk more about like a mixture of topics from gear and um, just like regular general music. There's been a lot of music discussion on the show lately, just like things we like and, and um, analyzing tunes and all that kind of thing. Um, But I think we, we're going to continue that effort going forward. Um, And so today we have, we have another topic we're going to bring up, which is actually pretty close to to a situation I've got going on right now um, where we're going to talk about, basically how you collaborate with other musicians and what those collaborational processes look like. Um, and that breaks down into like rehearsals and also like what happens when things go south and where, where do you draw the line? That's right. When is it time to cut the cord? Yeah. So I'm not going to get specific and name people or anything like that, but there's a situation I've been dealing with for, um, quite some time really um, with regards to, you know, uh, musical stuff I've got going on. And it's, it's, it's not been good. Uh, the individual has a lot of communication issues and um, it's, it's more, I look, it's taking a lot more effort for me to make it work than it is from them. And they're not willing to like, compromise on certain things they've made some decisions in terms of their living situation which have made it actually more uncomfortable and more difficult to do what needs to be done and at some point i've got to make the difficult decision of whether or not i continue to do this or not and that is a big problem because obviously like you form relationships with these people and um so you know that is an ugly situation in and of itself when you have to basically tell somebody look i you know I don't mind what we do here, but the problem is we don't do it well, you know? And so, and that's not even just talking about like from a musical standpoint. I mean, that's a whole other separate conversation for most people is like, Oh, do, do you like what we're doing in terms of output? Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a totally separate conversation, but just being able to get along with somebody on a, on a human level and be able to relate to them and have that, have that area of your life fit into the needs like the needs gap that you have. Cause my big thing right, right now is like, look, I got, I got the podcast. I have personal music projects. I have work, which is more than a, more than a five or 10 hour a week thing on top of the normal 40 hours. Most people we work, uh, we, uh, work. And yep. then, on, and then, and then that's, that's a normal story for most people these days. And then on top of that, I got this other music project that's been ongoing for a really long time with this person. And it's like, wow, how do I, how do I finally just say to myself, like, look, I only have so many hours in a day and if it's going to take me three hours to coordinate something happening, it's just not worth it anymore. It just isn't. Right. Right. Um, yeah. You know, we don't have to get into to too much detail, but when it takes a long time to get there and a long time to coordinate, a long time to set up, and a long time to break down, all those things eat up time you have to be able to be creative or to rehearse. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like I think most people could probably work with somebody on like a three hour a week basis and get work done. Right. You could come in, you spend 20, you you spend 10 minutes or 20 minutes driving to the place. You get there, you carry your stuff in, you set it up. That's another 20 minutes. Right. Assuming it's not already there and pre-set up, which that would be ideal situation, but not everybody has that luxury. Um, and then you either rehearse or record for two hours and then you take everything and you haul it back home and there's another hour. That's three hours a week, right? If you do that once a week, that's three hours a week. If you, if you 
think about it from that perspective. But I'm talking about literally just making phone calls to find out what's going on, taking three hours. Like yeah. that's nuts. That yeah. doesn't make any sense for any human being on earth. Nope. And um, I know that, that this individual may be listening to this show and I'm sorry that I'm, I'm kind of airing this grievance here, but like this is, I mean, this is, this is human behavior we're talking about. And it's not necessarily like there's, it's not that I'm, I, I don't even find myself frustrated with this person. I just see it as being a disconnect between the fact that like I am th at this place in my life where I have children and a yeah. wife and a house I need to take care of in addition yeah. to a job I have to maintain and all the other problems that I have going on in my life, like the normal stuff that everybody does with like health issues and all those things. Right. Um, I don't have the amount of time that it takes to make this work. I don't. No, no you don't. And, and I don't think that person is respectful of the fact that I don't have the amount of time to make this work because they don't understand it. They don't have the same level of things going on in their life. And so for them, when you say, well, I got kids, man, like I can't do this all day today. They, they, they don't realize that like, Oh, I don't have kids. So I don't know what that even means. Right. And, and if they've never been in a position of having to work a 50 or 60 hour week yeah, and having um, a, uh, wife and then having children yeah and owning not just having a place but owning it right There's, right which means you have commitments that you have to do you can't like let it go at all right right because let, let me say something if something goes wrong with my roof guess who's got to pay for it so those things have to be considered um and if the person doesn't own a car that's another thing they that yeah I mean, that, that was another thing i was going to say is like even just like the, the communication thing is a big part of this, this situation that I'm going through. But the other thing is like this, this individual lives in a place where they don't have um, access to their own transportation. And so for that reason, like I'm the one that's expected to do all the driving and mm -hmm. we're talking, you know, I'm driving basically what amounts to into the city. And by the end of the city, I mean, you know, South side of Chicago area. And that means I have to, you know, I have to pay toll. Is that the baddest part of town? No, it's, have it's to so, just beware of a man named Leroy Brown. There's a lot of really, so that's in a whole thing. Like Southside Chicago, like everybody says, oh, Southside is awful. It depends on what ah. Southside you're talking about. Because there's I, like a lot of um, little community. You, you've lived here. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of little communities over there. <laughs> and uh, so there are some that are better than others. Yeah. Um, but for me, like I'm a suburban kid. Like I grew up in the suburbs. Um, when I first started to learn to drive, it was out here. So going downtown for me is extremely stressful. Right. And I drive into the city and then to do it frequently and, and have to carry my gear upstairs and like through, through alleys because there's never convenient parking. Yeah. Like, and, That's and, the thing and about the city. it's not so much that it's the fact that somebody chose to make that decision to go there. And they did it while this project was going on, which means that no regard was given to the fact that they had something that they really wanted to make work, but then they made a decision that was the complete opposite of making that work. They made it yep. more difficult. And yep. so now I'm kind of left, I'm just sitting here going, dude, I've already given you the amount of time that I can give you. And I'll tell you, there, there are reasons that um, a lot of musicians, uh, bands, um, and, and otherwise find rehearsal spaces. Oh yeah. Rehearsal. No. And this is exactly one, but you'd have to, but the thing is he, 
this person couldn't get to the rehearsal space. Yeah. I no, mean, I he'd have to, he'd have to get on a bus or, or take an Uber every day. And he can't afford an Uber. So, you know, he's at the mercy of public transportation at that point, which has been a nightmare at different times. No, public um, transportation is a nightmare. I don't care. Like, because of the other communication issues. It's like, are you coming out? I, I used to pick him up for the train station and we come back here. Mm -hmm. We would, we would work on stuff here and it would be like, okay, so um, I'm coming from the train and I'll be there in an hour and it would be like, okay, I'll be there in an hour. And then I would be there and then this person wouldn't get off the train. Yeah. And that would be like, well, what the hell happened? Yeah. And then I would be calling around, like trying to find, you know, calling well, other people that know where this person might be. And like, what, what am I doing here? And then, you know, they show up a half hour later or something and you're like, Oh, okay. Like it all makes sense now. But it's like, I don't need that level of, disconnectedness where I don't right. know no. what's happening to me. And it, um, it's just yeah. burning time, dude. My time means something to me like a lot. I don't have time to burn at all. Zero. The first thing I would do if I was in a position where um, somebody said they don't have reliable transportation, I'd be like, see ya. Yeah. And this, that's the thing. Like, this situation is, a, it, there are personal reasons why I didn't do that to begin with. Yeah. And I'm just getting to the point where it's like, I have to start making decisions about what's right for me um, and not what's right for this individual. And yeah. like, I know that this per like, I, I really care about this person. Like, this is not something that is as easy for me to do. Like, and I want to make that very clear to everybody, even for right. me to talk about this on the show, I've been very candid, probably more so than I had intended to be. Um, and I really, I just feel like I need to have this outlet because I've been going through this for several years now. Right. And it's, I, I, there are some personal situations that are driving this, driving this discussion where I'm like, I don't feel comfortable doing this even now, but I have to, I don't have a choice. I really don't. Yeah. I mean, I've been, um, I've been doing some stuff like that for someone and somebody warned me, they said, the person is going to make you turn you into a doormat, which is pretty much how I felt. Uh, maybe because the the you know the worm got inserted into my ear, you know the seed was planted. However you want to say it. Yeah, um, sure. I mean, and and that's always a factor but, too. It's like you don't see things the same way if somebody else tells you, like, "Hey, just so you know." Then you start to think about it, and you're like, "Yeah, yeah you're absolutely yeah. right." Yeah, this person tends to do that, Jim, and and I'm like, "No, no." Then I'm like, "Oh, yeah, you know what? Yeah, that's what happened." Especially when they own their own car and they can get around it. I'm, I'm like, eh, I just, I don't see it. I don't, I don't see the, um, the benefit, uh, the cost benefit analysis has been, you know, performed and I don't see it, but, um, yeah, when you go to, so when you go to a rehearsal, you know, a full band rehearsal, you expect people to know the songs you're playing when you're there. Right. Right. And, and the hardest thing, there, there's a few things that can really start to aggravate someone. Okay, so one of the things is you rehearse at someone's house. Okay, you rehearse at someone's house. And then it's, oops, my kid's stuff is over there where you usually stand. Could you not move it too much? And can yeah. you, oh, my wife is decorating that. Can you, so you wind up with like a one and a half foot place to stand. All right. And then it's like, okay. And then they go, oh, I couldn't hear your, your oh, well, I, I'm sorry, but my pedal board can't fit in the small place that you put me. So I'm like reaching over books that you've piled up because you're a dick cheese. Anyway, then 
I've got to, or then you've got to, you've got the other side of, of that is that they're like, oh, I don't know why you can't be here on time. Oh, I know why you can be here on time every time because you live here. I have to deal with traffic, you know, and uh, and I try to be early, but there are times when I'm going to be a little late. And if you put, if you want to pay me more, I'll I'll work a little harder. Well, you, you know, know that's that and, whole punctuality thing. That's a problem for so many people in, in these kinds of situations. And what they need to understand, first off, is this is your not your primary job, right? What? Like, so what ends up happening is like you put everything else first that has to be done. And then this is the second thing on the list. Correct. So when in, <laughs> can I hear people say that? And, and I used to be the guy that was kind of like, you know, let's all try to be here at the same time. But I'd always cut people slack because I know yeah. like – stuff happens. You get drive yeah. away from the house and you realize, Oh crap. I forgot the cable I need. I need to go back and get it. Yeah. And, and that yeah. happens. It's or just the dog pukes habit. You the house when, when it's always that way, then you're like, what is going right. on? Like, like when the lead singer is always the last person to show up 20 minutes after everybody else has been there and is. Yeah. Well, they don't have to do any setup either too. So they just walk in and grab the mic and like they're right. in the rock and roll. So, and then, it, yeah, that's, that's their thought. Yeah, exactly. Even though everybody's already everybody else so. knows the downbeat is at three p.m., so everybody's gigging up at three, and you guys are all ready to hit that first chord, and they're twenty minutes late because they're like, "Oh, well, they won't be ready." Right. And, no, and, and, and that's not, that judgment. And that's not the case ever. We always give that person shit because that's what they do. But right. then you've got the other the other side of this thing, and that's and then there's another there's another component of it is volume. And people getting loud and then telling you you're not loud enough or you're too loud and then you can't even hear yourself but then you can you can hear them plainly and so on and so forth and then um you know those are personality clashes somebody's playing a different chord than you are even though you said it is definitely this freaking chord and you agreed on it um then there's the um you know the, the whole thing so when collaboration comes together one of the things that everybody's got to remember is if you can't deal with those things for people, you shouldn't be in a band because I don't care what band you're in. You're going to deal with some of some or all of these things. And if you've got a, if you've got the money for a rehearsal space, which is which is primary, or if the band has a place where it's like nobody else so got a barn out back, you know, right? Nobody else gets to go in there. Everybody gets to to be there. Um, then then it's a little bit easier. I think that that um, what happens when people first start a band because you hear see it all the time. You see the the, the um, honeymoon uh, band, honeymoon phase. You're like, oh my god, I can't believe it. These are such great musicians I'm hanging out with. Three weeks later, they want to cut each other's heads off. I can't stand each other and everything else. And then, I was lucky enough to have been in the Navy. And the thing about the Navy was, you slept. You it, slept it didn't matter whether you liked them or not. You had to deal with. That's them. right. You knew how they smelled. You knew what they if they farted at night. You knew if they snored. You knew everything about them, everything. And so you loved them and hated them at the same time. That's yeah, like were, family. Yeah, it was like being with a family member. And there were times when you'd spend more times with those people than you did your 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 um, significant other. So there is a there is a um, uh, an easygoingness about me that I have that, that I think some people don't have. Um, but that said. You've got to remember that you're a, there's a give as well as a take for everything you do. And collaboration is just that. You've got to be able to give. You've got to be able to take. We talked earlier today, and I said I, it's been a long time since I've been able to 
collaborate with someone writing music. And the reason for that is simple. I don't, um, I don't work well with people writing music because a lot of times I'll say, okay, you know what? Maybe that should be a minor seven chord instead of a minor chord. And they're like, well, I don't see any difference. The minute they don't see a difference, I'm like, if you don't see a difference, why are you fighting me on it? Well, because it's hard for me to play. Well, it might be hard for you to play, but believe me, it follows more with the melody that you created. So the harmony should be a minor seven. Or yes. whatever. Songwriters and musicians are often not the same thing. No. And and that and that's so, a distinction that we should probably point out here because of what you're saying. And I I kind of want to I want kind of take this topic for you for a second just because yeah. I uh, I have some things to weigh on. It's not in this personal situation as discussed earlier, but um, I have I have been working with people throughout my playing career who are not as dedicated to the instrument as I am. And I'm not saying that they're good or bad players. I'm just saying that they're not like, they don't play as much as I do. They're not focused as much as I am. They And so when you sit down with them and they want to play a tune and you're like, it's this chord, this chord, and this chord. And then they look at you and they go, I, I don't know what those chords are. Like, can you, can you show me like, and, and so you show them and then they go, well, I never learned the chord names. And then you go, how, how are you even expecting to like work with them? I mean, to some extent, like I, I, and going into it, if I know that ahead of time, that makes things a lot easier. And I think right. with other guitar players, it's a lot easier to deal with. But if you're dealing with like a pianist or something like that, and they're like, well, I just, I'm completely by ear. And you're like, well, this is middle C. You know? And then it's like, this is not where my time should be spent. And so for, and so for, for, for to your point, to go into a situation where somebody who doesn't understand the difference between a minor chord and a minor seven chord or any really any relationship like that and are willing to fight you because it's like, well, I created this song this way and this is the way it should be. Right. Look, do you want to collaborate or is this like you're going to hire me? Cause, right. Cause I've been in both of those situations. And if you're going to hire me, just pay me. It's fine. I won't say a word. I promise. I will play exactly what you tell me to play. But I, I will, I will say this: you'd be better off asking for what I know and saying, "Hey, you have experience with this. What would you do?" And taking that to heart. That's collaboration. That's right. not being dictated to. And that's the real problem with I think with bands in general is that once it becomes a business relationship, it becomes dictatorial. Whoever's making the most money is like, I have to keep my money in check. And so now it's a dictatorship and you're going to listen to me and you're going to do what I say. And a lot of times it becomes the producer, which is pretty crazy when you think about it is like this non band member becomes the band member who is making all the decisions for everyone. Right. Um, you kind of like job, but lame. That goes into where you have to have this, um, that moment where you, you know, have the realization that this person is probably actually more responsible for my success than my own, than my own input. And so therefore I should listen to them and shut my mouth. And, and there are situations I'm sure where we, some of our guests could even probably talk about where they've had those kind of moments where they had to, they had to park their pride because they realized that in order for them to be financially viable, they were going to have to do what the producer said. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. There, there are so many, um, examples of how clashing with a producer can create a crap album. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, 
that's a per, that's a perfect example of why your relationship with the person has to be based on respect. And if you're not being respected, it's not going to go well. If it's yeah. not based on respect, you end up in a situation like worse than what I was in because I, be, I, I do believe there is mutual respect there. I believe, I believe I, you know, we both foster a lot of respect for one another, but I think that if you don't like, it just becomes like heresy when the other person says something because like their input really doesn't mean anything anyway. Cause I don't, I don't trust them. I don't believe in them. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a unique individual. Like I'm kind of the, uh, a peacekeeper in a lot of ways. Like I am always the person that, that tries to point out that, you know, there are two sides to every story. Right. And so, um, I don't like to pick sides between people unless I'm on one of those sides. In other words, like unless I'm being attacked, like I'll pick a side, but, um, right. for the most part, it's, you know, it's a lot easier to navigate the world. If you can see the conflict from a third, from a third person perspective. Right. Um, and I'm not saying that there weren't egos in my day, but oh, that, no. And that's what, that was the one point I wanted to bring up. Sorry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut you off for a second. Not what is with people who are at our level or lower having these massive egos? Like, I know how to do everything. Where are your platinum records? Where, you know, where is your uh, artistic success? Who has written a good critical review of your album? Like, right. what, what are you on? <laughs> That's exactly what I was about to say. So you take the... Yeah. Right now we're in a we're in a um, we're in a society and uh, with a social um, structure that has more uh, than ever of a me versus you attitude yeah. and us versus very, them attitude. very conflicted yes um, and yet the the attitude um, that, that that does exist in this way is so combative in a physical way as well as a, as a as a um, online and so on and so forth there there are calls to to um, bash people's heads in and so on and so yeah. for, for simple words and simple things that I over, like over conversation basically yeah and, it, and whatever happened like, to polite society I mean what happened to escalation what happened to step of escalation Even yeah like at least then you we don't know, do you can that. stop there's a, there right? is no escalation there's there's we're cool or I'm going to murder you in your sleep. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, there's nothing in between. Um, and so I see it a lot on musicians boards. Oh, someone, yeah. someone will attack somebody and they'll be insulted. Chris Brooks is a prime example, which I think is why sometimes, it, you know, he's not crazy about that whole interview thing. He, um, he was attacked by somebody who called him fat, ugly, um, and a couple other things. This guy is an incredibly talented guitar player. I don't think he's either of those things either. And he's, he's not I'm like, what in the hell? Like, what? You know, yeah. You're saying this story to me, and I'm like, who are they talking about? Yeah. So I'm, a, you know, a Facebook fan or a friend of his, and he, you know, he posted this thing and said, "Look at what this person called me." And he, he just he he copied and pasted it. He didn't delete it. He didn't block it. He just copied and pasted it. And uh, the internet you know, is a scary place at times. And it is. And, it, and it, it's an unfortunate fact that what is starting to happen, and it's a dangerous situation that we're in now, that we, I didn't grow up with as much. So there wasn't the anonymity that you had in the internet 
Yes. And, and I was just going to get to that because I have a whole thing about the internet we can finish up with. And, and so the internet is kind of like, okay, in my day, there was this thing called road rage. You could, someone could yell in their car and then as they, they could drive away and they, and they, and they knew they were safe. You know, it's just like, believe yeah, it or not, the song. Because you're in your cars. car. Right. Exactly. So like Gary Newman's cars. cars. Right. You know. And so, yeah, Gary, Gary Newman. Was it Gary Newman? I think Gary something. But anyway, yeah, the song in cars where, where, um, you're, he said, you know, he was safe in there. He felt safe inside of his car, which is, which is how you feel on an LA freeway when he was driving around. And of course you saw at, at one point in, in California, when I was out there, this was in the early mid eighties. All of a sudden people started shooting each other. Yeah. And oh, it's still going on. Oh, yeah. It hasn't ended. No. And so roadway road rage went from yelling and screaming. And they even used to sell these little, um, uh, devices. They were like laser things. You could punch them so you could let your rage out in a, in a safe environment. And then people started killing them, killing each other. So now we've gone from the internet being the similar way. It was yell and scream on the internet. You could, you could post somebody's um, Instagram or YouTube page or, or feed, Facebook page. Now all of a sudden you can call somebody to be violent. And then you can step back. And you don't even have to be the one that, that performs the violence. You 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 harass and, and call people to arms. You say, oh, this person, you should attack them. You should do this and that. There was this recent uh, thing where, a, where a, a professor hit someone with a bike lock. Yeah. In like a bat or something. And, it, and then the guy didn't even have the guts to like face him and hit him. He hit him with a bike lock with a hoodie over his head like this. And then ran away, but they, they figured out who he was. And a mask on and everything. I mean, how what have we done? What have we what have we created? And so um well, I think it has I think, this is indicative, I think this is indicative of um the self-centered society, right? Yeah. So both the the band groups like where you got these people they're like oh i know what i'm doing right it's like you are completely self-serving you don't perceive that everyone else who is interacting with you thinks you're full of crap right and and you probably are full of crap um and so because it's the self-centered universe it's me first right Right. everybody for themselves don't really concern myself with what's going on with others and that's ultimately what we're dealing with and Um, it, it is and I think, I think so. That there, there are three kinds of people in the world. There are people that are concerned with themselves. There are people that are highly analytical, and then there are people that are concerned with each other. And I think the people that are concerned with each other are people like you and I, who are sitting here watching this and going, "What is wrong with the world we live in?" This, yeah, it's um, crazy. Where, whereas the people who are concerned with themselves has the number of those people has escalated because of the environmental factors that create those people. And right. so, when you literally have um, a hashtag going around YOLO, which means you only live once. That is basically you saying, I don't care about anyone else. I'm getting mine. That's right. And that's, that's exactly what it says. Pretty messed up. So yeah. just keep that in mind as you move through your musical endeavors. But with regards to the internet and the keyboard warrior thing. Um, so if you don't know what a keyboard warrior is, this is maybe a new term to you, but it's people who sit behind their keyboard and they say all these horrible, awful, vicious, ugly things to other people and then you hide behind the anonymity of the internet. First off, dispel something for you. 
anonymity on the internet is completely false. There's no such thing as anonymity on the internet. Your IP address gets logged whenever you do anything by basically anything you do it with. And if somebody really wants to find out who you are, they can. That's right. Uh, unless you're on the dark web, but that's a whole other conversation. Right. Point made, point made, right? So in the early days of the internet, when that wasn't as commonplace, you would get some crazy stuff going on the internet. I think people also become more comfortable with the idea that they're not hiding behind their screen name. I know when I was young, the whole idea was like, you didn't tell anybody who you were. That was the, that was the ground rule and use the internet. You don't tell anybody who you are. Um, yep. And now I, I think people that. are more, way more open to that. I mean, we date through the internet. We, yeah. we meet musicians through the internet. Facebook is coming out with a thing called Facebook flirt. Like they need to add more yeah, I know. Facebook. Facebook messages that get sent to Jim sometimes. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> they're they're, they're <laughs> highly embarrassing. Let's just put it yes. to that and leave it that. Yes. Um, so uh, the, the way I want to cycle back this to the music community. So in the early days of the Internet, right like like late 90s, you know, right when the message boards started to take off and yeah. you'd find things like, the line six forums where people yeah. would, you know, talk about, talk about the gear they used. Yeah. I was on there years ago too. Um, yeah. And uh, th this is where I want to go though. Right. So Harmony Centaur, right. They used to have the biggest review database for musical equipment on their way on the it web. It was huge. And everybody yeah. knew that probably 95% of the reviews on there were bogus. Yep. And because they were based on advertising. No, they're based on advertising, but it was not just that. It was people lying about what either they had or oh, what yeah. they wanted or just being completely falsified, you know. And so um, the reason why, why I bring this up specifically is due to the fact that um, if, we, if we back off for a minute, we think about some of the things we see even regularly today. Uh, I'm, I'm a – I own a – Boss Katana. You've owned a Boss Katana twice. Actually, yeah. we both owned one twice. I've owned um, three times. I had a fifty and two one hundreds. <laughs> did you ever join the? Did you ever join their Facebook group? No. Okay, no. so I have seen various people pulling Harmony Centrals in that group, and that is this is the greatest. <laughs> this is the greatest amp I've ever owned. Yeah. And I sold my Bogner full stack. Oh to, yeah. To, to a buy cabinet, to get a Katana head <laughs> in a cabinet. <laughs> Like what? This is complete crap. <laughs> well, that's like that's like the person who goes who goes. Um, yeah, I, I I've owned thirty five Gibson Les Paul customs, and this chipset is better than any of them that I ever owned. You're so far. Either that, or you just don't know the cars. And and it, it's just it's just ridiculous. It's it's. It, it, there's so much of it. We've talked about that before. But, you know, it, it, what, what's wrong right now with the Internet is people don't – at that time, people would start to read things. They go, wait a minute. Is that right? Is that real? Now, now people believe now it. Now people believe it. It doesn't matter what the video is. With the ability to fake things and green screen stuff and Photoshop things. Do I don't even think you have to go that far. I think the lie can be completely text. And yeah. I think people just like buy into it. When I, read, when I read that guy saying I sold my Bogner to get a Katana head, I just laugh out loud. I'm like, dude, this is obviously complete fiction. Right. Like, first off, you'd have to be a complete moron 
to think that have a, a lot of money is, left over. To think that a katana <laughs> is anywhere near. Well, that now I don't want to discount the fact that yes, there's probably someone out there who sold their Bogner and bought a katana. But when you have people saying stuff like that all the time, right? Red flag. Those people are upset because they don't have money to buy the really expensive items, so they want to make people feel like the katana is just as good, and Correct. it's not. Okay. Correct. And everyone knows that it's not. Um, except for the people that are trying to pull the wool over everyone else's eyes. And you know what the fact, the fact is this only hurts one group of people in the guitar community. This hurts the people who don't know any better. Right. The the young guys or the guys that are not into gear. Right. right. The new person to the gear doesn't know who hasn't had an opportunity. You know, it's funny because the world of the internet and, and and I don't want to say this, the complaints that people have. Um, so Everybody's like, oh, Guitar Center's this evil giant. I, I don't think it's an evil giant. I could go all day about that. But then they go, I go to my mom and pop store. If you're go, if so many people are going to mom and pops, why are they all shutting down? Why are they dying on the vine? Well, all day, it's not a sustainable business model for most of them. No. Um, number two is that does not make Guitar Center any better or worse, right? So I think Guitar no. Center is neutral. Yeah. Um, I think I think it's it serves a purpose, but I think at the same time, and this is me being real for everybody. Like I know we've talked on the show before where I've like played the guitar center's evil thing. And, and I, it's not my preferred retailer, but at the same time, I like, look, they're not trying to, to, um, they're not an evil empire, right? They're, they're, right? they're priced appropriately. Your mom and pops, if they're not priced like Guitar Center these days, they're doing it wrong because yeah. MAP is a thing and MAP yeah. pricing is available for everybody to use. And right. so you have these pricing agreements and stuff. Now, the other thing is like brands, what brands you want to bring in. Let's face it. Mom and pops don't benefit from the market research that a big company like Guitar Center does. So Guitar Center knows when they bring a brand and what they're going to sell basically. They have a pretty pretty good idea of wh- how much to order and what's probably going to go out the door. Now, that's not to say they don't make mistakes, right? right, right. They probably make some pretty significant mistakes, like you know buying a bunch of those uh, uh, Fender uh, telecoustics. Um, <laughs> but I haven't uh, seen a single one out in the out in the real world yet. No, neither have, I, neither have I. Which is which is really surprising. Uh, I actually know I've seen one, but I refuse to play it. So. Could, uh, no, I mean, I haven't seen, not only have I not seen one in the store, I haven't seen one, anybody bring one to an open mic, nobody. Yeah, because they're, they're, they're never going to surface that way. Um, I've seen, I think I saw one pro player who was using one and it was Jack White, I believe. That sounds like, that sounds like a Jack White right there. Like, Mr. Yeah. Because <laughs> he knows nobody else is going to use it, so he'll use it. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, like, I don't, I, I come down neutral on that, but I, but I agree with you. Like mom and pops, most of them go out of business because they make, they, they, they don't have the business analytics. Number one, number two is the people that own the stores are not necessarily very good at business, which is another big problem. And number three, the people that own those stores in some cases, I'm not saying all of them, because obviously there's good mom and pops out there, oh, but sure. they, they have to look out for themselves. And so this is that self-centered universe again, where they will, if somebody comes in the store and doesn't know that there's a better price on something, not help them out. And they will just charge them whatever the hell, um, whatever the hell price they want. And I've seen that situation, especially here in Chicago in the last 10 years, where uh, stores won't list things at map. They list them at the suggested retail, which is 
you know, typically two to three hundred dollars more than map. Um, and so that's a huge issue if you got a beginner guitar player coming. Could you imagine buying a Squire Affinity for four hundred dollars? Because I believe that's what the suggested retail is on one. Oh yeah, it's nuts. Yeah, I mean that's that's insane, and it happens what? because these these mom and pops do that kind of stuff. Now, granted, you're not going to find in most of your mom and pops anymore either a Fender or a Gibson dealership. No. They have reserved those for for places that are big and have a lot of capital, um, mm -hmm. and because that they price themselves on the market. But what you will find are things like Godin, Yamaha. Yeah. Um, Ibanez, Schechter, yeah. she even Schechter's got a high buy-in now. Um, yeah, I, you know, and then a lot of these comes out of conversations we've had with 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 Good Time Music um, and and their owner and staff. Um, and it, it, listen, if you find a good mom and pop, they'll talk about this stuff to you because it, it doesn't matter to them. Like they don't, they're they're not vested in making money off of the fact that they're going to upcharge you. They're invested right. in making money by having the products people want and need and that are worth buying. And that's yeah. a big part of this. When, how many times are you going to do a mom and pop and you found guitars covered in dust? Because nobody wants what they've ordered. Yeah. And and the thing is that some of these buy-ins that, that, that the companies come up with, they they arbitrarily give them like, you're going to buy eight of these, ten of these, four yeah. of these. And then, yeah. and then they're sitting on them going, I can't sell these things. And, the, and, and they don't. Typically, those happen to be the companies with really cheap buy-ins too. So if you're just starting out, you're going to end up with garbage brands like Dean, right? Which right. I'm sorry if we've got Dean lovers in the in the Facebook group, but that the guitars that Dean has put out for the yeah. last 15 years, they've been yeah. horrible. More than 15. Yeah, I mean, well, when Dean Zielinski was there, they weren't that great, frankly. Yeah. Uh, and of course, now he's got his own company, and that's another whole like can of worms. But um. Yeah, Zelinsky calls it right. Whatever he's calling it now, I don't know. I, I don't know. Guitars by Dean Zelinsky or something. I whatever. Um, it, I have seen a, several of the stores. They're they're terrible. Um, and w w to to my point though, when you carry these cheap brands like this and you have these buy-ins, that's how you get guitars to sit on your wall and rust. Now, who are you competing with as a mom and pop? Now, everybody says, "Oh, you're competing with Guitar Center." No, you're not. you're not. You're competing with the internet. And that means right. if I don't want what you have, I will go get online and get what I want. And I'll get it shipped for free and I'll yep. get it without paying sales tax. Yep. And so, well, yeah. now you have to pay sales tax even in, well, in the federal laws that you have to pay it even across state lines now. So, yeah. uh, but I'm just law, you have to pay it twice. Um, so you, what I'm saying is that, that you get uh, what you get is the same thing and then and then that's the that's the other side of the dangerous coin but i want to say this so if, let's say you get let, let's say you go down to uh your mom and pop you go to buy a yamaha pacifica on my, on my recommendation right? you go right. Hey, you know what jim said i'll, I'll get this yamaha pacifica right so you go down to the to the uh, mom and pop you play three of them and you like one and and you buy it what is mom and pop offering you that that um but they've only got a blue one or i mean a, a white one an orange one and a yellow one but you want the blue one yeah and, and you, typically they'll order it for you a good mom and pop will order it for you that's right i have seen them where they're like no you gotta take the ones that are on the shelf right that's all we and have they're trying to clear their inventory yeah because they've been sitting on it for six years you know 
And, and so, I have seen guitars that have like faded because they've been standing in the store window that long. And you're, you're going, well, how are you even in business? You're not moving any inventory at all. Yeah. And, and so if you take, if you take that, uh, the person can then reach into their pocket, pull out their phone and buy the guitar standing in front of them. And, yeah. I mean, I've really done stupid things like that before. Um, it's very insulting. Don't do that. No, but, I don't uh, think it, I don't think it's a nice thing to do, but I'm just saying that the capability is there. And so we have to be, we have to be smart. We have, you know, as a, as a, um, as a retailer, the retailers have to be smart. They have to give you something the guitar center is not giving you. Right. right. They have to, now, in the day, I've said this before, the day when I, I bought a mom and pop, um, there's a local mom and pop here. I'll say mom and pop. It's it's, it's single store, no no chain. Um, yeah, well, like no chain I mean, affiliation or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, there's, there's two guys that are, in, that are in cahoots with each other, probably similar to your good time music thing. A um, couple guys with a little bit of money and, and uh, some connections. Anyway, you know what these guys give you? Uh, lifetime setups. Yeah, and that's a great that that right there is a great buy-in. That's forty five dollars a pop. Honestly, a free setup is worth it because I've had Guitar Center tell me no, we don't do that. Yeah, lifetime setups. You bring your guitar in twice a year to have it set up. I don't see I don't see a downside. No, there's none whatsoever. Because if you if you were to do them yourself, yeah, it's free. But if you were to take them in regularly, that's fifty dollars uh, a go at least in most cases. Yeah, yeah. forty five to fifty dollars a piece. Yeah. And it depends if you've got a Floyd Rose, that's sixty sixty five bucks right there. Yeah, yeah. So depending on where you go, um, you know, I mean, all you're going to do is pay for the strings that go on. Yeah. I'll sit down inside of that. And, and you don't have to buy the expensive one. You can buy a Squire Affinity. It's free setup. You buy the the nine, you know, the five thousand dollar DC they just got in because they just got buy-in back with Gibson. Gibson's changed its buy-in, by the way. Yes, I know. Along with along with the new guy, along with JC, has come a new business model for the folks that. Well, they need, they needed to change that buy-in, and yeah. that's and that's the the crazy creepy thing is that like because Gibson is look. When you pick up an album right now, you know, from chances are there may not be a Gibson on that record somewhere because it's just not the popular set of guitars right now. And it's not because of, look, that has nothing to do with, with uh, El Jerko's business model. Um, right. I can't even say his name, so I'm not going to bother the previous CEO. Henry Jeselnik or whatever his name Je was. Jeskowitz or whatever. Jeskowitz, yeah. Um, he, he, he didn't cause that. Okay, that was caused just by changes in the industry and maybe some pricing stuff and things like that. I mean, yeah, there are still artists out there using it. Joe Bonamas obviously still uses Gibsons, um, and you know, of course, there's uh, who's the other guy? The uh, oh, it's, I'm having a moment. Um, anyway, there are other people still using Gibsons, but the. I mean, if you buy a record now that's from an up-and-coming band or whatever, chances are it's all going to be Fenders on the record and maybe maybe a couple of other like weird off-brands. If you're getting into metal, it's going to be Ibanez's and things like that. Um, and you know some some more boutique-y like, um, metal guitar builders, for, for lack of a better word. And yeah. I feel like... I feel like it's just like Gibson goes through these periods where they're just not that interesting to everyone. Um, yeah. and then they get, they go right back on top. But the right. funny thing is like, I wonder if this is going to be their ticket is to like open up their distribution 
And they really should have done this a long time ago. And Fender should have done it too. Fender has Fender has made their buy-in increasingly higher and more ridiculous. And and frankly, for the quality of guitar you get from Fender, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how things play out after the, after that gets announced. But back to your point. Um, well, can I say this before we jump okay, off sure. of that? So with 2019 comes a, a much simpler line with with Gibson, right? You've got less models, um, so you've got an easier way to keep at least one of them in the store, right? Where Fender has, I mean, and you can see our plan Fenders, but Fenders has a bazillion models. Now. They, yeah. They've got they have a real problem. More skews than, than they can shake a stick at. That. Yeah, and that, and not only that, like it's great because they have they have a lot of choices. But then it's great, it's great because they have a lot of choices, and that makes it yeah. harder for the consumer. It to makes act. it harder on the consumer, you know. And, and that's the thing. Gibson said, "All right, screw it. We're gonna we're gonna have a, a Les Paul standard. You can have a fifties or sixties neck. That's it for the Les Paul standard. Yep. There's not an HP, and there's not ultra modern. There's there, not doesn't, a there doesn't need uh, to be though, and there never did, and that's the problem. Yep." Um, they got rid of the traditional line. Um, which is really got, just now standards. The standard is the traditional. That's what they did. Yeah. Which is what it should have been in the first place. They fixed all the problems. We talked about this in the show already. Yep. But but um to to your original point, which is that, you know, the mom and pops aren't competing with well, actually is my point. Mom and pops aren't competing with the retail stores like Guitar Center. They're competing with the internet. And to a large part, they're all competing with the internet. And so the center who sells guitars has a lot of merchandise, a lot more merchandise than other stores. And that's part of the reason why they've always been kind of like the place to go for a lot of people. Um, right. And they have decent prices and, you know, they, they do carry use and stuff like that. But uh, I mean, there will be a day probably not too far in the future where somebody like Sweetwater is neck and neck with guitar center and they don't have retail outlets. Right. And they're going to be fighting Guitar Center. And so in that way, Guitar Center will also be the mom and pop. Now, I guess who's right. And guess who's going to, um, uh, if, if Sweetwater quote unquote wins that online battle. Well, I don't think they will, but go ahead. Um, what will happen is guess who will be the, the monster? Amazon. Yeah. And that's why I was going with like, I don't think if it came down to online retailers, I honestly think. Sweetwater would probably be bested by Amazon by the time that ever happens. But that, but I'm not saying I like, I like Sweetwater. Um, and I know the guys at good time kind of poo poo me for it, but like <laughs> you get good service there. Like when you talk to people on the phone, those people aren't there to sell you things. They're mm -hmm. there to give you warm and fuzzies and hopefully you will buy something, but they uh, like, I get the genuine feeling when I'm talking with my rep, who is Brant Miller, by the way, um, that, like we're talking shop. It's not, it, it's not really like, Hey, if you, have you, you want to, you know, you should buy this. I got this. It's, it's marked down. I think you're really interested. You should buy this. It's very much like a, Hey, did you hear like they got this new attenuator and I know you're looking at attenuators right now. Maybe you want to look at this one. Cause I know you're already in the market. Yeah. Like if you're interested, like it, this is what it does. And it's not, you know, it is more expensive and the other thing will do all the things you want, but maybe there's this other feature you didn't know about. And, and it's very much that kind of a conversation. Um, I, it's not a high pressure sales approach. Um, I know some people get weirded out. We are in the internet age, like talking on the phone is going the way of the dinosaur. And when you get a phone call from your Sweetwater rep, who's basically a sales guy, um, it's kind of a creepy feeling. Like the first time I got a call from my Sweetwater rep, 
long before Brant Miller was actually my Sweetwater rep, I was like, why are they calling me? I just placed an order. Just send me my crap. Like the reason I shop online is so I don't have to talk to people, but there are times where you're like, yeah, okay. And I will say this much. Part of the reason why they do gear fest is because they want you to meet your Sweetwater rep. That is, that is the primary reason they want gear fest to happen because it's part of their, part of their sales model, which is if you go to gear fest and you will see Jim, there's going to be a lot of people at gear fest. You're going to meet your Sweetwater rep. You're going to get a tour from your Sweetwater rep. He's going to make you have good vibes. And then there's a really good chance you're going to buy something from them when you talk to them. And you're going to realize they're a person. And that's a big part of it is you realize that this person on the other end of the phone is not a sales machine. He's a musician just like you. Right. Yeah. My Sweetwater rep is Aaron Huff and um, Huff and uh, Aaron. Um, I call him. It's yeah, funny. dude. I call Brant too. I am. It, it's funny because I call him to ask him questions. Hey, you know, I, I bought this thing. Can you help me? You know, or can I, can it do this? Can we, can we get it to do that? I mean, How many negative interactions have you had with them? None. Zero. Zero. And you've had to do returns and stuff. Yep. Which is, which is more than I've had. I mean, yeah. I probably have bought more stuff from them, but, but at the same time, like, I feel like, they they do a good job of maintaining a positive interaction. Whereas you know, I've had negative interaction with people at Guitar Center. And wow. sometimes this is why I think Guitar Center has a bad rap. And this is why I'm coming back around on this. So when you go to your mom and pop, if it's a good mom and pop, now we're, we've already covered the bad ones. What's wrong with them, right? They're right. in it for their money. The good ones, they are in it for their money, but they also understand that they have to be positive to their customers. In other words, they have to have a positive interaction. So if something goes south, they try to take care of it. Don't spit in the face of somebody who's trying to take care of the situation. Try to put yourself in their shoes. It's really important because I've seen situations go through good time in other places where somebody's had it, had a, a bad issue and they're like, I need this fixed and I need it fixed now. And then the, 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 the shop is trying to take care of you, but you're just pissed because you're not getting it exactly the way you want it. And it's like, yeah. look, you got to work with them too. Um, and it's going to be the same way at Guitar Center. If you have to do a return at Guitar Center and you're not doing a retail return, it's going to be just as nightmarish as if you're doing it with Sweetwater. I mean, you're going to have to put it in a box and you're going to have to ship it back. And you're going to have to deal with all the, the uh, repercussions and, and whether or not you got an RMA and all these different things. Like, don't get frustrated when you have to deal with a mom and pop and they have to make some – they have to make something happen. Because, like, let's say, for example, you have to turn an amp. You want another one. They don't have one in stocks. So you're going to have to wait on it. You're like, well, okay, you just fix the one I got. And they're like, well, we can, but it's going to take just as much time as to order the other one. Like, those are the kinds of things that happen. It happens. That's part of the retail buying experience. You're not buying from online. It's a whole different thing. Right. It can be painless if you let it be painless. If you want to be a jerk about it, yeah, don't go online and tell people, hey, this store was a jerk to me because you were the jerk. You were the one that didn't realize they were trying to make the situation work, right? Right. And try to help you. Um, so there's well, I get it. negative well, I get customer, it. customer service aspects to both sides, right? And, yes. and I'm, I don't mean to cut you off. I just want to finish my thought. So Guitar Center, the problem there is not necessarily that the people don't want to help you. A lot of times they're not educated. Like they don't, they don't have the, the expertise and wherewithal to understand all the ins and outs of things like, 
hey, there's a bad ground in this wall, which you know from a previous episode, I had that happen where they wouldn't take a piece of gear from me on a return or a trade in because they had a bad ground in the wall and it was causing it to buzz like really badly. Yeah. So take it away, Jim. Yeah, I was about to go with that. So just because you got to remember, so your local mom and pop hire um, is maybe literally mom and pop or a couple brothers or a couple buddies, right? Yeah. And eight employees or ten employees. If that, that's if that, and and maybe and that's if they've got guitar and sound. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Like uh, like the mom and pop, they have if that. Music. Yeah. And then and then let's say you got. Um, uh, in that you've got maybe three that work guitars, right? Yeah. So they know their stuff and they have a, a much more um, honed in inventory. Right. So they understand so, their product lines a lot better. That's right. So with the exception of the, of the stuff that they brought in used possibly, they, they know every single thing they've got in that store. They know it pretty well, right? If they have a good service trade, they probably even know the used stuff pretty well too. Yeah. And if they and if they've got good reps um, from Fender or you know whoever, yeah, whoever, whoever. Got a, right, they've got a good good handle on what they carry. Now you go to Guitar Center. I've got maybe eighteen people that work guitars per week, right? right? Yeah. Per store, per area, per whatever. Yeah. Okay, so you got maybe a Guitar Center might have I don't know ten thousand employees. Yeah, you know overall, yeah. and so. If you take these these folks and you've got to um, say you're a guitar, I've been there when the when you've got two or three people in guitars because that's all you can get to show up that day. I've been there where the manager yeah. was was ringing as many people as the people were um, the, the other guys. On the floor. Yeah, yeah. And they're out there and they're trying. They are trying their best. Can you imagine juggling fifteen conversations at a time or three or four conversations at a time? Yeah. And somebody asks you about. A, an eighty-five dollar um, guitar. When so, you're over here, you've got the person that's trying to buy the four thousand dollar Gibson off the wall there, and and you're trying to balance both because you don't want any either of them. And I see these guys trying their best to make neither one of them feel less important than the other. Yeah, yeah, no, and they work hard. I'm not, I'm not disputing it at all. Yeah, but I would say that there's probably a good use scenario for both both types of retailers. Like, yes. let's say you're going to go to, uh, you want to go buy an amplifier, right? And you know exactly what kind of amplifier you want. Let's say you want a Mesa Boogie, right? And they got it used over at Guitar Center, but they also have it over at the mom and pop who happens to be a dealer. Right. Would you go to Guitar Center or would you go to the mom and pop if you have questions about the piece of equipment before you buy it? I go to the mom and pop every day. Yeah. Because it, you buy, yeah, because that's they don't carry Mesa. So let's, let's pick a brand. Um, let's pick, let's say, uh, Fender's got a new a new line of something coming out, and you want to buy their new amp. And there is a local mom and pop Fender dealer, which would be you know you and far between, but there is one. And so you're like, do I buy it from Guitar Center or do I buy it from them? And it's like, well, that's when the service thing comes into play. Like, uh, you know, would I rather have a company that like back this thing from start to finish because I'm going to pay the same price in both locations? I would go to the mom and pop. Where Guitar Center excels are the products you're not going to find in a mom and pop. I'm not going to get a headphone amplifier splitter at a mom and pop. I'm right. not going to get a you know 32 channel digital recorder at a mom and pop. I'm not going to get you know 
uh, a 50,000 watt PA system at a mom and pop. Like it's just not, not going to happen. So that's why there, there, there isn't a deviation there. And I'd love to see, and we've mentioned this on the show before guitar centers talking about, about um, deviating from their business model and selling services. Now, right now they're, they're pushing lessons really big. And I think that's, it's a good idea, but I think the problem is lessons are only part of the pie there, right? So what do you do for the musician right. that's that's been playing for 25 years? Who's like, I'm not taking lessons anymore. It's, it's not, then it's not going to teach me anything anymore. I've, I've done lessons for 25 years. Right. Um, now, first off, shame on them. But second off, like that's why they need to start selling studio time. A lot of their stores have uh, either um, – a storage area or something like that. And I know some of them have been converting them over to studios. And if you could get into a music studio that has way more gear than what you have at your at disposal, at your house for, for 25 bucks an hour, a lot of people would or 30 bucks an hour. Yeah. And I think a lot of people would, I mean, I just, I, maybe I'm wrong. Even if it's 50 bucks an hour, dude, like you could go there and you could rehearse. Yeah. And use it as a rehearsal space. And in, in Guitar Center? Yeah. Yeah, they, they allow you to do that here. And they keep their investment capital, which is the real estate, because yeah. they own the buildings. That's a big thing that people don't understand in a lot of these like retail type scenarios. I'm now Guitar Center may be an exception to this, but I know like McDonald's, for example, one of their big things when they when they started to expand and did all that rapid expansion in the late eighties was that they um they bought the property that they were leasing back to their franchisees. And so yeah. they, they became real estate investors and yeah. it would not shock me one bit to find out the guitar centers done the same thing because they had a very similar business model in the, in the late nineties. And there was some discussion about, you know, that at the higher levels of the company that they were, they were McDonald's of the, the uh, instrument world. So now if that's true, they don't really have to sell instruments to make money off their stores. They no. have the investments. And so the, the vast majority of their capital is tied up in their buildings. In real estate. Yeah. So yeah, they've owned this, this, this store has been here for probably 25 years. Uh -huh. So they definitely yeah. own it. There's no question about the fact they own the building. They, they own well, it. the reason why I say they might be leasing yeah. in some places is because it's like, you know, they, they have a lot of city pres presence. Right. They have like three in the, in the, in the city limits in Chicago itself. And then yeah. we have, probably five or six out here in the burbs. Um, when I used to go to Sam Ash in New York city, that took over the Manny's music. Right. Location. Pretty much all the 48th street stores before it was over with. Yeah. So I don't think they own those buildings because they're like, they're, right. they're probably leasing. The whole building is owned by somebody and there's multiple shops in there. Yeah. We might be surprised if they're renting from Trump, but anyway, <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly. Um, well, in New York City, I mean, uh, I'm right? He owns a third of the property there, or something. Oh yeah. So, um, yeah, I I agree with you wholeheartedly there. I think that there's, you know, this is a discussion all of its own. I mean, we're probably pushing our time a little bit here, but um, there's a there's a huge thing again. You get to what does it do for you? If like you were talking about Sweetwater. I, I enjoy when I when I want to make a decision, I enjoy talking to Aaron. But I can tell you right now, I enjoy just as much driving down and talking to um, the folks at Guitar Center because not one of them has ever pushed me to buy anything. It's ever. not the it's not the push. And they've never and they've I've never had that. 
twice. Yeah. I've had two two distinct occasions where I was directed to buy something. Yeah, no, I and um, I've also had which which is funny because I know at some point. Robert Jackson could probably comment on this. He used to work there. I thought at some point that they were commissioned and then they weren't commissioned and then they were commissioned again. And yeah. it was like they were going back and forth. Um, maybe that was Sam Ash. And that's, that's a possibility too. Yeah. Um, but I just, I, I've had some bad taste. Around, but my, my big problem is when I go in there and I, and I know more about the product than they do. And it happens all the time. Yeah, and, and that speaks to the manager of the store and the and the lack of training because I can tell you right now, the employee I'm not talking about one location here though. That's the problem. Yeah, that, uh, and, and again, it goes to it speaks to that because the employees the guitar center I'm in, and you know I know a lot of, of stuff, especially on the leading edge gear, not as good at the at the older gear. Um, these guys know this stuff. And when I point it out, um like, oh my god, we need to get that. We need to talk to you know because I, I pointed out that that Fender the the um, the alternate reality or whatever it is yeah Fender and they were like oh my god we need to get one of those and they said we'll get one get your get your butt in here and uh, we'll give you a call and you can be the first one to give it a try so it's um it's one of those things where uh, I think it's it's per store I've heard horrors yeah, well that's what I'm saying it's a hit like, miss though Jim I cannot believe. That's the same, and that's the problem with when, when you put the same name on each one of these stores. That's what I'm saying, and it's that inconsistency, which is what which is what hurts them. That's right. Whoever's up here is that one. You know, Ray Kroc had this thing when it comes to McDonald's back when it was still alive. McDonald's had a certain consistency, and every single McDonald's. Do you know why they used to ask you if you want fries with that? The, the they their licensing standards were nuts and they still are. Um, they actually still, so they bought back most of their franchises. Most of their franchises are turned into McDonald's corporate now, but oh. there's still McDonald's franchises out there and they have been squeezing them out for years by using the licensing rules against them. Yeah. Because they've been trying to buy back those companies and some of the, some of the franchises have been holding out. So, I've seen those. I've seen them. They shut yeah. them right now. As, as fast as they can. Yep. And uh, what I was going to say is they have particular rules, the cleanliness, the, yeah. um, the the standards that they have. I'm not saying there it's great food. I'm not saying I'm not, I'm not out here touting McDonald's for anybody. But I'm just saying that, that McDonald's as a whole had certain rules that you had to live by. So if you were going to say, I'm a McDonald's, then and I own McDonald's and we, we are McDonald's, you had, you had certain flavor standards you had certain meat standards you had the amount of time that you could keep fries in a bin it, ridiculous yeah perfect example when you go in there uh look at their tea they have that the big tea machines you'll yep. see a stamp on there that says when they have to get rid of it that's right and, and the same with they used to have it on the fryer they used to have it on everything yep. oh they, they still do but it's just not where you can see it yeah you'd have to get rid of that stuff and if food like if they pre-made certain burgers that sell fast if certain ones were in there too long, they had a little, they had a little um, I don't know if they still use them, they had little tab things that they sat behind the, the you know, the oldest burger. And yeah. if that would throw them in the garbage, all of them. I, I think they've streamed outlined all that now, but, and it may even just be software telling them that, but um, yeah. it's a, it's a cool, it's a cool way of looking at things. And I think, um, I think that's where Guitar Center needs to learn. Hey, you know what? We've got standards. So many stores are living to them and some of them aren't. 
I think because the music industry is such a tight knit thing and, and everybody I'm sure who listens to the show can agree with this. How many like buddy, buddy relationships do you hear about people having with the people they buy their stuff from either through guitar center or whatever, like they have a rep or somebody that they use that they have like a good relationship with and helps them get their special price and all these different things. Um, and I think that in guitar center that also translates into favoritism at the, at the district manager level. Whereas like, Oh, I know this guy and like whatever. And I just don't think they, I don't think their, their corporate is that, that uh, hard line. And they're not going to can somebody and replace staff members fast enough to keep things flowing properly. And I think the other thing is their living wage that they have set over there is like really low. And so they work with what they got. And that kind of sucks. Um, because, because they could make more money if they put more money into human resources. Yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say. Um, people don't understand. And, and it's so funny because even at the high levels of business these days, they don't understand you have to spend money to make money. Yep. Yes. You have to know what to spend the money on. You can't just throw it at the wall, but there are things that you can do to improve your business. We've talked about Kiesel and an inventory management system so that people can actually track their order through the process. Like that would be a huge step up for them and not a lot of expenditure to make it happen, but they're not going to do it because this is not the way that grandpa Kiesel used to do it. Well, let me, let me tell you something, kid. Grandpa Kiesel is gone. He's been gone for a long time and your company cannot stay operating like it was in the 1960s. That's wrong. No one does it. Man up and realize you're going to have to be the one that starts implementing these things. Yeah, you'll die on the vine if you don't. Right. And, and they're, they're popular now, but look at Gibson. They were popular once too. Now they're struggling. Gibson is struggling. And, uh, you know, every company struggles. Fender went through its struggling times. No, they all do. That's what I'm saying. Like, you can't you can't rest on your laurels and expect that you're going to be there in 20 years. Yeah, you don't hear, you know, there are certain, there are certain instrument types or brands you don't hear people touting a lot anymore. Ibanez used to be the metal guitar that people touted. That's yeah, not as, Ibanez is not even like that's not even on the radar for most players nowadays. I mean, no. it's it's honestly, and it just has to do with the, the hipster music, and I and I mean that in the like broadest sense of the term. Like, I'm not trying to poo poo hipsters, but no, the the music trends today are for like these vintage guitars. And I know obviously like Nick Bongers, other people like the vintage guitars are a thing. Like I get it. Um, but you're not going to see people playing um, uh, Alabama shakes on an Ibanez RG. It's just not get. Is that the name oh. of the band? The Alabama. Alabama shakes. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. yeah, I know. I know, the Harlem sh- I know about the Harlem shake. I was yeah, just trying yeah. to make sure that it was because I like the Alabama shake. So yeah, that bluesy rock. Band. Yeah, but but you're not going to hear somebody playing that on an Ibanez. Nope. Not no. even a Tolman. I mean, no. so uh, that's what I wanted to point out is like that. There's a clear distinction in the styles of music changing, yeah. and what's popular right now is not the music that's going to be played on Ibanezes and stuff. But mm-hmm. Ibanez is making an effort to branch out. So like. They're they're very much focusing on their artist division, which is a big deal for them. And they're and they're smart enough to realize that we have to offer some things like the AZ for people who are looking for it for a non-artist model, professional grade instrument that is capable of doing a lot of things. 
That's right. But they're not delivering like they they're not going to have 24 RGs next year that are like brand new to the line and everybody's like, "Oh my god, I've never seen these RGs before." It's just not going to happen because they're smart enough to realize if we do that, we're going to sink our business model. But yep. you also have to understand America isn't the only market for everything. And for a company like Ibanez, they're selling hard in Europe right now. Like they understand that they go where metal goes. And so and metal is really strong in Europe and in Asia. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're always going to be big in Japan. Yeah. Um, but that's that's Ibanez, right? Like other companies like them, like Schecter, Charvel. Charvel is um, doing their best by offering colors and finishes that really suit people who are into this, like uh, this more um, contemporary music, which I fu feel funny saying contemporary because it's really doesn't <laughs> sound contemporary at all. Um, but, th but that's what they're doing. They're like, they realize they have to have outreach into that community. And so they're using at least the finishes. Yes. The guitars themselves are dual humbucker and Floyd Rose and all this stuff, but there is still like a market for that to an extent. If you do it in the right way, Jackson, I mean, kind of the same deal, but Jackson is still like heavily invested in the metal market. Um, and I think Fender's okay with that being like, okay, so this will be our metal line over here. This is the one that is specifically for metal. And then I guess in that regard, uh, Charvel then becomes grandpa's guitars. And, um, you know, the Fender line is what people are playing right now, which also is grandpa's guitars. Yeah. Well, the, the funny thing about the Charvel is you're seeing more and more of them, but there are people my age buying. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. Well, no, I mean, like I, I, dude, there's a couple of Charvels I wouldn't mind having. Um, I've owned a Charvel. Um, but, I just like, I'm on another thing right now. Like I'm on another whole trajectory. So uh, yeah. I don't know. That's a, that's a tough one. I mean, right now you've got so many, so many brands out there. I don't know. Has there always been this many brands of guitar and maybe there, there no. was, but there was, but I, I don't think they had the, the market share that they appear to now. I think marketing right. has become a big part of the industry to the point where, you can't really tell how many guitars Ivan is selling versus versus Gibson or Fender. It would not shock me if somebody came out tomorrow and said that Ivan is like declaring bankruptcy because I don't know what that, that bottom line looks like. None of it's publicly reported. No. Um, mm. Unless it's Fender. I mean, Fender and Gibson are publicly traded, but um, the other brands, they're largely privately owned. Privately owned. Yeah. I'm sure Ivan is again, Ivan is comes at, at like you said, overseas, probably good sales. Um, but you're seeing more and more overseas manufacturers that are taking what was at one time, um, you know, the ones that we, as you, United States, as well, we, it, were, were adopting for certain types of music and then saying, no, you know what? No, I'm seeing more Kiesels. I'm seeing I was just going to say something, though, with, with regards to what Ibanez is at right now. So we've seen the pedal boom, right? Yep. with the boutique pedals and all that. Now we're in the uh, boutique guitar boom, where if you look at metal bands, um, you'll see a lot of bands that are playing like really obscure brands of guitars. Yeah. Um, comparisons one, and there's a bunch of others too. Um, and, and some of them are just private labels for other people. Like Ola England has his own brand called Solar Guitars. Yep. Um, and those that's a that's a very interesting distinction because they're going through that same thing on the metal guitar side of things that the pedal industry has gone through. And so if I were Ibanez right now, I would be panicking because 
they are having to keep up with this. And it, you saw yeah. the Iron Label series, right? My understanding, those didn't sell that well. So based on, you know, just seeing them in stores, talking to people and stuff, they, like, my understanding is they're not flying off the shelves. Right. So they're sitting there going, what do we do now? Because they can't be – it's like the punk rock music thing that happened in the 70s where they were all running around underneath everybody's foot, the the, giant, the giants, you know, and tripping them. Like, like Pink Floyd stumbled because – what was going on with the the punk music scene at that time. And that led to the wall coming, uh, which is fine. Like I'm not, I'm not, I did something to happen. But my point is that they can't keep up with these little things that are going on. And yeah. instead of doing what a lot of people would do, which is to like find a new path, they yeah. realize that they really, their market niche is to stay where they are. So they're trying to weather the storm. When I was, okay. So when I took um, uh, these classes and, you know, these business courses, I have a business degree. Um, in in uh, college, one of the things that, and I saw this in real life, is that the bigger a company gets, the harder it is for change to take place. Yeah, to be to be um, a, what do they call it, nimble? Even the right, even the smallest changes, like okay, we're switching how you guys um, uh, do your time cards tomorrow. And yeah, dude, it takes months. It'll go. They'll go through months, and they'll train everybody. And yeah, yeah, do, yeah. And then the day will come and everybody will act like it. They didn't even know. Was, oh my God, I can't believe we got this yep. new time system. Yep. It's the first time system I've ever seen in my entire life. Yep. And if you work in small business, you know that yeah, that changes are like overnight. Like, oh yeah, we got a new time card system today. Come down to the HR, get your new time card and uh, yep. you'll be using it tomorrow. And that's right. it. That's it. It's done. It's over with. There's no more discussion on it. Everybody's in the room when they say it and that's it. Yep. You know? Um, and that's, and that's exactly the difference here. So like companies like Kiesel who are a little bit on the middle big side and not really boutique, but they want to pretend to be, have been getting away with a lot because they basically just been ripping off everybody else. I mean, Kiesel, Kiesel's headless guitars. I, I, I have one obviously, and I like it a lot, but it's a Strandberg. They, they went after Strandberg and they said, what's popular in the metal community right now. And a lot of people are like Strandberg's. And, and there's some other headless designs out there, but they were like, yeah, Strandberg. So they said, we're going to do a fan fret, you know, 24 fret, uh, like double humbucker metal guitar through and through. And they did it and it worked out well for them. And so they've been continuing to do this because they have done what they've always done, which is like, I'm going to make the model those other guys have, but I'm going to give you the option to choose the things you want on it. Um, which is something that you can't get from them. Um, yeah. unless you pay, you know, crazy amounts of money and I'm not, I'm not pooing Strandberg. Like I'm sure they make a quality product. Um, and other companies like them make quality products and do do crazy things, uh, like that. But it's just their ability to, um, do off the wall stuff that you wouldn't get from major brands. Like you couldn't do that in Duraneck that's on a Strandberg. If yeah. you were like Fender, it just would never happen because you'd never get everybody to agree on that design. They would all go, yeah. you're, you're making a mistake. We've been making these guitars like this for years. Right. Look at what happened to Gibson when they tried to do it. Right. Gibson yeah. make those, made those things. And then the market looked at it and said that was a mistake. Like, right. Even That's if you get the guys saying. in the boardroom to sign on, that may not be enough. But these exactly guitar companies, right. they could do it and they could make money at it. But right. Strandberg, Strandberg is never going to be a Fender. They're never going to be a PRS. They're never going right. to be one of those big companies that everybody looks to to buy guitars from. They have a very small market niche and it works for them. 
Now, the funny thing will be is in like 200 years when we're, when we're using, uh, we're playing rock music, like classical music and performing it in front of like, you know, the, the highest society, like opera, you know what they'll be playing, right? Like a Strandberg descended instrument that's, that, that does everything that every functional rock guitar has ever done, but so that they can have all the versatility and only have one guitar to do all the classical stuff on. Because they're not nuts like we are, <laughs> and it, right? And 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 um, uh, the, the biggest thing, like I said, when it comes to bureaucracy and larger companies, is there are certain things. There's, I was going to get to that. The customer has expectations of that customer. Sure, sure. It's so both. I, it's customer and business expectations. So a fender goes to make a change. Now the fender has one thing to its advantage. They can it can completely shit all over the Jackson line because it can say, okay, you know what? We'll just rec- release them as Jackson's. Because yeah. We just don't care anymore. So Jackson doesn't make anything to us. That's, that could be our clearinghouse. And, they, be, and they have done that. That'll be where we try. Day Armand people. Does anybody remember day Armand? Yeah. Day Armand. Yeah. When, when was the last time you saw day Armand played out? They did that because they were dumping designs that they had come up with for Squire and other companies. And I, actually, I think they had some Gretsch stuff that they were, because they wanted to buy Gretsch. Gretsch is independently yeah. owned and operated. Still. Gretsch was distributed by Fender, but they were not owned by Fender. And so right. when they were like, oh, we can't make Squire versions of Gretsch's, yeah. we'll they, the they made the Day Armand line. Yep. Yeah. So Yeah. So there's a lot of there's a lot of things you can look at to to um make those assumptions. Ibanez seems more like, well, they seemed at least at one time, more like a company that could make changes quickly that could adapt. Um, and, and they're doing, they're trying really hard. Like the iron label came out right at the right time for them to cap- capture some of that market. But mm-hmm. I just think that I don't think, so when I, when this happens, I think a company like Fender or whoever their, their normal attribution is to say, what do these guitars have that we don't, we could do that. Let's do it. And what, what the reality is that they, they miss something. They, they don't have one thing and that's exclusivity. And so, when you are the when you want to be the cool kid, right? You're not going to buy what everybody else buys. You want something different. So when everybody's playing Kiesel's, Kiesel's are no longer cool, and that's a big part of this. Is that yeah. the pedal boom is driven by this too? Listen, how many Tube Screamer variant clones are there, and how different do they actually sound? So many of them sound so similar to the original unit that you know that it's all about the label. That that's that that's what it is, and so in, in this case, I think we're getting into that territory where it's becoming more about the label. Yeah, I, I, I'm definitely I'm I'm definitely for um, behind you on that one. I was I was kind of curious on, um, you know, there was a lot of hype behind the Jiva from uh, Ibanez, and that was all marketing. I, I don't I don't know anybody who has actually like bought them. Oh, I've seen a couple of people who've bought them, but that, but that was all marketing, man. Yeah. Oh yeah. By the way, the, the day Armand was not, they were not knocking off, um, uh, Gretsch. They were knocking off guild hey, and, I, then, and then they liquidated guild. They're owned by Cordoba now, by the way. So guild is a Cordoba brand. And so really? I didn't know that. I didn't know they got that. Yeah, they're they're actually still around. They're not cheap anymore. Jeremon? No, some of them are over a thousand dollars. Wow, they really changed them. 
at least the ones I was seeing on the thing here. I know that Dierman was, uh, well, there's a 1998 to 1999 Dierman for $400. Oh, yeah, but that's, yeah, that's 99. That's what I was talking about when they were, when they were, when they were garbage. <laughs> Dude, I almost bought a Dierman one time. I did too. I yeah. almost fell into that freaking trap. They, they were good at one thing, they made really good pictures. Well, it was a P90. It was a P90 equipped uh, single cut, like Les Paul. Yeah, and I I liked it, but I'm glad I didn't buy it. The one I looked at was like a. It, it had like a P90 meets a TV Jones type pickup. Yeah, and a sparkly look. I really it, like it was, TV Jones, but okay. It was kind of cool. Yeah, uh, I never got into the TV Jones myself either. So, but well, yeah. we have talked about a lot of gear stuff tonight. We need to we work have. on music stuff next week. And uh, it's been it's been great for everybody. Uh, I've been David. I've been Jim. And tonight we were the practical guitarists. Practical guitarists.